Lord have mercy, look at how the time goes. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of... I, I'm looking at a video of my next guest. He, he's dancing. Not bad rhythm for a white guy. But thank you all <laughs> to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am, of course, your host, your American who is lost in Norway, John Allen. And today I am talking with a, uh, I just know he's going to be a fantastic guest. I don't know him very well at all, but I know of him quite well. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to present to you my guest, Egil Barley Jonsson. Hello, mister. Hello, John Allen. It's nice to be on your podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I've been looking forward to this as well. Now, um, just so the people out there know, my intention was to have you on, what was it, maybe two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago that we spoke. And me yeah. with my non-technical ass, I was trying so hard to get a video uh, solution here so that I could video these podcasts as well. That didn't work. And actually, I don't think I need the video. So here we are by telephone. Yeah, it's. I think it was three, four weeks ago when the world was almost normal. Yeah, there were some whisperings about possible quarantine. I think at that time was when Italy was starting to go bad. Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of speculation about whether or not things would get bad in Norway, whether or not things would get bad in the States. But uh, hmm. yeah, you know, how, do, how would you describe these days? How's things going for you and your family? Well, um, I've been thinking a lot about this. I'm, people who, who are acquainted with me, like, like you are, might see me as... Um, a tough guy or a, or a, an outspoken kind of half rude, funny, <laughs> uh, guy that are, that is not afraid of anything. So I think a lot of people have the expression of me that I'm, that I'm uh, hard or tough or, or like can do handle anything. But I have to admit, John Allen, that the, the last weeks have been very strange and I'm, and I'm, kind of a, not a sentimental kind of guy but mm -hmm. i really acknowledge the big things in life and interested in history right yes yeah so um and, and i have the unfortunate ability to be able to sit down and think what would it be like to live in the medieval ages or what would it be like to live in the stone age and how difficult would this and that be but <clears throat> we find ourselves in a situation that will be talked about in centuries in the future. That's true. This is a special moment in history. Now, I have, uh, as I said uh, at the beginning, I don't know you very well personally, but I have seen on your Facebook feed uh, up through the years, you are someone who, as you say, is interested in history. And I think it is so cool when I see you and your wife dressed up in the old time Viking outfits, you know, uh, for, for those who haven't seen you or who aren't seeing you now, you're a guy, you're, you're, you're relatively large, uh, strong looking with the beard and whatnot. And you just, and, and, and of course being Norwegian, you fall right into that old time Viking, uh, yeah. uh, image. Um, but you have your and other side as well. You have your other side as well, you know. Yeah, and, and, I, and I hope you have seen 
pictures of me or posts where I don't uh, have a sword uh, swinging and <laughs> and uh, and and a, and a cigar and smoking and drinking and sorry because I I'm very proud of being um, in in Norway we have this saying and I know you understand it but I'm not sure all your um, foreign listeners who understand it, the Stur Familia, the big yeah, family. The big, the outer yeah. family, the extended family, yeah. The extended family is very important to me, and and it fills my heart with this deep rumbling of love. Yeah, you know what? I know yeah, exactly it, it, what you mean. Yeah, That foundation of, like, like people power or, or the love of of having the love of more than just your family around you, and that is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, how do I put this? I noticed the power of that, the power of the extended family. I noticed that, especially since I am an American who has left that extended family to move here to Norway with my Norwegian wife. So I guess I noticed the power of the extended family in its absence because I don't, I don't have that here. Um, so you've got your family values in place. You've got your roots in place and you know, the value of that love from the family. So you're not just, so you're not just a bloodthirsty Viking. You have, you have, you have that, you have a heart, you have a heart. Yeah. And I hope that comes across, uh, as well. Um, I think it does too fast. We're too fast to judge. Uh, and people have always been too fast to judge people on appearances. Oh gosh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hope it comes across that that um, um, there is more heart than than brawl. Is it called brawn or brawl? Brawn, brawn. Yeah. 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 Uh, even though I'm 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 not the one to step away from a fight. Uh, I'm more of a lover than a fighter. There you go. <laughs> 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 I think we should touch upon today is um, because there's some uh, if people could see us or you you actually mentioned it in the opening my moves are not bad for a white guy and that means <laughs> you're you're a black guy and a lot of people don't know this but the issue of slavery should be more talked about uh, even going further back than the American history of slavery because way back in the Viking era in like in the 700s um, uh, AD and 800s and 900s AD, Norway was a slave society with 20 to 30 percent of the population being slaves per definition. And that is true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> absolutely. It was kind of like the middle age. Yeah, it was almost like the middle age uh, feudal system that they had, uh, among other places in England and France, where if you were a king, queen or a duke or an earl, uh, you were basically the slave master for your little village or, or larger village, depending on where you were. Um, it's, a, but it's, it's a matter of perspective. I don't think, you know, just like I experienced that at, at times it's difficult for Norwegians to understand, um, my history as a black American, uh, that goes both ways. You know, uh, when you mention, uh, slave conditions in Norway, you know, back in the seven or eight hundreds, there's a lot of Americans who are going to just scratch their heads and wonder what the heck is this guy talking about? So it's a matter of perspective. Um, and when you have differing sp- yeah. perspectives and if you want to be understood, then the communication is vital. It's important to be able to talk with someone who doesn't share your viewpoint. And, and not only that, it's not only 
perspective. I think perspective comes out of knowledge. And a lot of people don't know, and a lot of Norwegians don't know, that back in the day, we had slaves, and we we were allowed to kill them if we needed to. And even though it's like thousands of years ago, it, it still is, it still is, like, we have been there. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and America was there later. And I think we can draw some conclusions um, uh, on to, like, the development of society based on when you take the steps away from feudalism or slavery or uh, uh, when a dictatorship, some steps in the development of a society. And the sooner you make those certain steps, you might get into a more fully functioning society, maybe. That is an interesting point. That is a deep thought right there. Um... Yeah, but you know yourself, you you remember Dr. King in, in the 70s and 80s, and you are a couple of years older than me, but I also remember those days with Dr. King on the television after... Uh, only I saw it after he was shot, uh, and, and 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 Reverend Jackson and the people who were still fighting for equality in America uh, up through the 80s and the 90s. Sure, the struggle is not finished. No, I don't. In America th- yeah, yet. yeah, I don't so. think the struggle is finished, and it's such an interesting thing for me anyway, <clears throat> having lived the first 35 years of my life. Uh, in the United States, except for my my military service. I lived 35 years, born and raised in the United States. And then I came here to Norway in 2002. So it is a very interesting sociological observation that I have when it comes to um, social justice, if I can use that word, and when it comes to to racism and, and xenophobia and those things, because there is a Norwegian perspective or a Norwegian definition to those issues, but then there's also an American definition uh, to those issues. And at times they, they can be wildly different at other times they are quite similar, but sometimes they can be wildly different. Um, Mm. You know, one example is now my wife's family comes from Northern Norway. Um, she is Samisk or a Laplander, yeah. as we would say in the States. I don't know if that's proper in Norway, but that's what we say in the States. But she's Samisk. And up here, uh, I can remember her father. Uh, he was born in 1934. He's dead now. But he was telling me during the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, people would discriminate against him because he was Samisk when he lived, when he oh, lived yeah. down here uh, in the Drummond, Oslo area down south. And for a black American to think of Norwegians being racist against other Norwegians, mm-hmm. that might be a totally new concept to them. I think you're talking both good point and a sore spot because I don't think the regular Norwegian actually acknowledges that. But if you look at the old adverts in the old papers yeah. about housing in Oslo, yeah. Remember, you've seen those. Yes. No people from the north need apply, and it's the same as with yeah. the Irish in America or the black. Exactly. Well, that's the kind of stuff yeah. my father-in-law would talk about about how difficult it was when he moved down south after the war. How difficult it was for him to get a foothold on a new life down south here. Yeah. Uh, did he tell you? Did he tell you anything about being forced to speak Norwegian? Oh, absolutely. Uh, To this day, my wife, and I think this is a sad thing for our children, 
because that whole part of their background, that whole psalmist language part has been cut off because my father-in-law was forbidden to speak that native language, yeah. which for my American friends or for my non-Norwegian friends is drastically different. It's a totally different language than Norwegian. It is their own oh, yeah. psalmist native language. So that was cut off. My wife did not get to learn psalmist, which means our children having gotten to learn psalmist. I think that I, I think about that constantly. That's a, ter- yeah. as, as I said, I think more about heritage and family roots and that family thread. I think about that more since I've been away from my family in the States since I've been here in Norway. So that that part of my children's background has been cut off. I, I, I feel that I do. I feel that I, I'm, I'm going to take a leap here and, and try and, and come to a, a conclusion that we can think the average, uh, the average uh, American with a different background than white American are not aware of racism being an issue in Norway or Europe. Right. And I, I agree. also think that that most Norwegians don't realize the the atrocities that has been done to the Sami people and towards immigrants in Norway because they have this image that Norway is so free from from racism and in and, and difference. But, but really, yeah. it isn't. Yeah. Well, you know, I can give a, gr- a great example. Um, now, I love my Norwegian brothers and sisters. Um, uh, you know, so I'm not trying to say that 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 Norway sucks or that Norway has big issues that they need to take care of. But here is one thing that I am met with on a consistent basis. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a man who likes to talk about issues. Um, I enjoy a great debate. I don't have to agree with my friends. I love to debate. And one thing that comes up... Join the club. (laughs) (laughs) And one thing that comes up uh, is the presence of racism, the issue of racism. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. The uh, the issue of racism here in Norway. And a lot of my Norwegian friends will just flat out deny that it exists. And I tell them um, something that, that, that hit me like a club on my head is when we first moved here and my wife and I were looking for a home. When we first moved here uh, from the States, we moved in with her parents. Uh, That went okay, but I didn't want to feel like a child living with someone's parents. So we started looking for our own house right away. And on three different occasions during our time uh, when we were looking for a house, we were denied the opportunity to buy a house because I was black. Now, how do I know that? Now, some people say, oh, he's just sensitive or he's just making that up. Well, I know this because at that time I couldn't speak Norwegian. I was brand new here in Norway. So my wife and I would always speak English. So we would go to these house showings and we would be speaking English. So the real estate agent or the homeowner would assume that we couldn't speak Norwegian Uh, And I I couldn't, but of course my wife is Norwegian. So she heard what they were saying when they would say things like, uh, you know, don't sell this house to that black motherfucker. You know, don't sell this house and ruin this neighbor. Yeah, we heard that on. Yes. Yes. On three on three different occasions that happened. So bad. So so when I tell that story to a lot of Norwegians, they just flat out 
refuse to believe it. And I think that they are doing themselves and their society a disservice when they shove away that reality. That's my reality. I experienced that. So, of course, the United States has its problems. Absolutely. But I will say this. Not once in all my years living in my home country of the United States did I ever experience that I couldn't buy a home that I wanted to. That has happened only here in Norway. Yeah. So there's a little uh, interesting uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, but we don't want to admit it because yeah. you have come a longer way uh, when it comes to, to color in America. Uh, and I think a lot of Norwegians have an issue with people that look different because oh, we yes. are not. Yeah. They made songs about it in, in like 20 years ago. You remember, you remember that one? Neger på Ålstasjon. Neger på Ålstasjon. For those non-Norwegians, it's, it is a, a Negro at the train station. There is a song. Yeah, there is so actually bad. a song that was written about that. I have, a, I have a bit in my stand-up routine about that. I think that's a very, uh, well, I don't know. It's funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I think we're touching into a really big and, and, and difficult subject because we like like to think we are so open and so um, uh, accepting of other, but like deep down, I think we still have a long way to go. I have, um, if, if my youngest boy were to sit next to you on the screen right now, you would be the pale one. Because he is, he is dark, he's darker than you. I've and, seen, yeah, I've seen pictures yeah. of your children. Talk yeah, about when, that a little bit. What's uh... Yeah, because when, when Eric and I are outside, at, at night, I have to tell him to smile so that I can see where he is. <laughs> and he is, and when he moved in, he was like ten or moved in in 2012. And people would look at us at the store or wherever we went in the beginning because has this strange-looking white man stolen these two beautiful black kids? <laughs> um, but, but the people in the community fairly quickly got used to seeing. Yeah. us all together because yeah. uh, I have two, I have two 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 kids of color and uh, now when I just I forget to introduce him as a foster kid I say my son and people think you can see the gears going around in people's heads yeah. wow yeah. his wife his wife has to be really black in order for them to get a boy that black <laughs> but um, well yeah. But, they have never, they have never experienced racism as they can remember, and I've asked them plenty of times. But, but I think it is because they are not African black; they are Asian black, and yeah. they also speak Norwegian. Well, the language has a lot to do with it. Now, <clears throat> on my podcast, in other words, whenever, whenever I'm out uh, doing my art, which would be my podcast or performing music or doing my stand-up routine, I do all of that in English because I have to be yeah. myself. Uh, but otherwise, out in the official world, you know, when I'm, um, when I'm socializing with friends, when I'm doing anything business-related, I speak Norwegian. Uh, mm -hmm. I personally could not imagine functioning as well as I have in Norway, if I didn't know the language, I think that is very important. That is very uh, that's a, that is a key to getting into the Norwegian society. Norwegians are very occupied with whether or not an immigrant speaks the language. Now, that is a good thing. I think they should expect that immigrants speak Norwegian. Um, 
and and I wish I wish more immigrants thought that way. I know Americans and British people who have been here for decades and they still don't speak Norwegian. I don't know how they can make it personally. But I think it's easier for a white English guy to stay in Norway and continue to speak English than it is for a black one. I agree. Absolutely, and, I agree. And then we're down to it actually having to do with color. We, we can well, say yeah. whatever we want. We can say whatever we want about uh, integration and assimilation and um, uh, including oneself in the new society, blah, blah. But boy, the bullshit. If, if an Englishman, <laughs> white, can live in Norway comfortably speaking only English and an American, black, cannot, then it comes down to color. I, I totally agree with you, and you, you, you nailed it right there. I don't think that could have been said in a better way. Uh, there's a certain amount of hypocrisy there. Um, yeah. And to take that hypocrisy a little bit further... Now here I am. I'm talking shit about Norway. I said I wasn't going to do that. I, <laughs> there's five. There's over five million Norwegians here. I think I can fight maybe ten of them. <laughs> the rest of them are going to kick my ass. But, but uh, I, I, <laughs> I think that there is. I don't know how do I put that. <clears throat> Sometimes when I meet new people, uh, I can see that they are looking at me or they're dealing with me in a very skeptical way. Uh, but almost as soon as I start speaking or as soon as it comes out that I'm from America, it's like they breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, he, he's not African. And I'm always yeah. like, what is that? I've actually had people tell me that they don't like black people, but I'm okay because I'm American. And I'm like, am I supposed to thank you for that? What kind of a thought process is that? It's that's, like shaking your, that, that's like shaking your hand and kicking you in the balls at the same time. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's this weird hypocritical or this weird um, uh, explanation that they try to give themselves to justify their xenophobia or their racism. Yeah. They don't, they actually have told me they don't like black people, but I'm okay because I'm yeah. from America. I think we just need even more time, John. I, I think. Well, how much cannot, time? How much I don't time? Know. You know? Like, it's, it's with the Sami thing. It's yeah. been hundreds of years since the, the, um, the white European Norwegians discovered the indigenous people up north in Norway yeah. and started forcing their, their the Sami. And it's, I believe there is still racism going on to, uh, against the Sami people. And it's the same, it's the same with... Um, the Romani people and the Siganer yes. and the gypsies. Yes, yeah. They have. The, it will be said the word, the Norwegian word for gypsy, would be said with a sly respect. Oh yeah. And it's and it's hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it hurts yeah. me. It hurts me to listen to that when people get on that thread of you know my my wife is Samisk, so. Imagine how, imagine what that does to me. I mean, it's not like it crushes me and I can't handle it, but, but just think about what that does to me when I'm speaking with a group of people and all of a sudden they get into this discussion about their preconceived notions about what the Psalmist people are all about. And it gets into mm. this very racist conversation very about typical, them. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, imagine their surprise when I say, yeah, but, uh, my wife is Psalmist. 
do you really oh, feel yeah. that? Do you really feel this way? You know, and oh, and then they try to justify it. And I'm just like, okay, well, I know you now. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think it's, it's a healthy thing for the Norwegians listening to this podcast, actually now realizing that they are a bit racist. <laughs> because we have jokes in Norway, in Norway about the Swedes. We have jokes about yeah. uh, uh, immigrants. We have jokes about Sami people. And very few of those jokes are nice. They're not funny, funny. They are degradingly funny. Well, I think, well, there's two ways, two different ways to tell a joke. You know, now I'm, I'm, I'm in the stand-up community here in, in Norway. Um, and some of my jokes touch on race, uh, but it's not a racist mm-hmm. joke. You know, the, I guess the question is, is when you tell a joke like that, what is your intention? Um, a lot of people, when they tell these jokes about black people or they tell jokes about the Sami people, it is mean spirited. They're trying to be funny while they're being mean about it. And maybe there's a touch of true feelings in the joke that they're giving. But I can get on stage uh, uh, and I can tell a joke about the Sami people. And believe me, I do. Yeah, but it's not mean spirited. It is a. Um, it's almost like I'm trying to to quietly preach to them about the racism that's out there. You know what I'm. You know what I'm saying. I'm touching on a subject mm-hmm. in a joking way, hopefully to provoke a little bit of thought, and that's different. So there's so there's two different ways to tell a joke. One is for the entertainment and the teaching moment, possibly, and the other is mean spirited. Now, nine out of ten times, it's the mean-spirited joke that I hear out there in the streets. <laughs> you, of course, know the feeling when the punchline is timed correctly and it hits home with 99% of the audience and you get that feedback, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay. So here I'm going to tell you now, from my 42-year life being a joker and or making fun of things with people and telling having bad jokes. I'm going to tell you the <laughs> ultimate, the ultimate episode with a joke. And okay. this is so good, it could not have been scripted. Okay. So, I can make fun of Norwegians, Americans, blacks, retards, people. I can tell Jew jokes, I can, I've got jokes for everything. So, I have this American, no, 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 I have this German friend visiting from Nuremberg, Germany. Yeah. He was visiting like a couple of... And, like, and, and this story really what you expect people to be like, like when somebody talks to you about the Sami people and then they find out you have a Sami wife. Yeah. So I'm telling this guy all my Nazi jokes and all my <laughs> Jew jokes I have. Nuremberg. Not mean-spirited, but if you tell jokes about the Jews to, to a German of Second World War in those Jew jokes. Yeah. And I can make fun of everything. And I'm telling these jokes about like the land speed record, like two Jews on a tandem bike through Berlin, 1943. It's kind of bad. It's kind of funny. <laughs> and I'm, I'm on my second or third joke because I have a line of jokes for different uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we're making food while I'm blabbering on about this funny stuff about the couple of jokes I have about juice. Uh-huh. And then he stops, he stops stirring the, the minced meat in the pan yeah. and says, Egil, that was not funny. <laughs> and I immediately freeze. Oh, I can imagine. 
because, oh shit, have I missed something in the backstory of my friend's life? Have I really missed something? And I'm thinking, is there a way I can get myself out of this hole? Because he said, Egil, that was not funny. And I said, okay. No, my grandfather died in the camps. And it got worse. And then he turns towards me and fell down from the guard tower. I'm sorry, you faded out. Say that again. He turned against me, turned towards me and said, he fell down from the guard tower. Oh, God. <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> and oh. that is so perfect. That's he just, perfect. He flipped it and he made me feel so bad. Oh. His grandfather died in the camps. And then he flipped it again. Now that right there is some great stand-up comedy. I wish I would have thought of that. That's just perfect. Oh, yeah. And uh, and he will never be able to do that again because... Well, that's a one-time thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Oh, I love like it. The, the, like, the racism thing is bad. I actually have... This was one of the times I or maybe in the, in the weeds and stepped in the salad. I don't know if you have an expression the same. <laughs> stepped in the shit. <laughs> stepped in the shit, yeah. The shit hit the fan. Shit hit the fan. Um, but I, I've had like a recent episode as well. I, um, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of my, my gym, but I have some flags flying on the wall. Yeah, now I heard something about you. You had to take a flag yeah. down. What's that? What was that all about? A lot of controversy there. What? What? Uh... Yeah, it was some controversy on Instagram and Facebook. And and I rarely, I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. But, uh, <laughs> and and I didn't think I was wrong, but I had to take the flag down. And I admit now that I was wrong. I had, I have the Welsh flag flying. I have the flag, the Swedish, the Norwegian. Uh, I have the, the Colorado state flag flying. Yeah. I have the stars and stripes flying yeah. up there. And I had the stars and bars. The rebel flag. Yeah. The rebel flag. The Confederate and next flag. To the rebel flag. Yeah. I have a re- and, and, and next to the rebel flag, uh, I have a rainbow flag flying. Yeah. But a lot of my athletes posting videos online got heat because in the background they could see the stars and bars, the Confederate flag. And for me, that Confederate flag has not that negative. Uh, uh, is it called annotation or connotation? Connotation, yeah. Yeah. Now, if actually, and, from what I see, that is the case with a lot of Norwegians. That has no negative connotation with most Norwegians, actually. But uh, so I, I. But what I did you experience? Bought, yeah, I bought the flag at um, a museum that. Uh, had uh, exhibitions about the slavery and the civil war uh, and everything happening in America in the 1800s and, and, and in the 1700s. And I bought that flag out of genuine interest for the history. Yeah. And the South is and was a major part and a major player in the way America was just the other American flag and it would be a cool thing to hack on the have on the back porch yeah. on the 4th of July when I had the stars and stripes on the front of the house um, and so my um, my thoughts around the confederate flag was not all the bad history that right. a lot of other people but also the people who reacted negatively 
on us flying the stars and bars or the Confederate yeah. flag yeah. were people younger than me. Okay, yeah. And you're 42, so right? I, I'm 42. Yeah. And I had to admit that being a middle-aged white man in Norway, I was not the one who had the right to make the definition. You know what? I'm just going to say right now that that is very insightful of you to say that because a lot of people plant their feet firmly in the ground and hold on to their notion about what is right or wrong or offensive or not offensive. Interesting. Exactly. And all the people who reacted negatively were people younger than you and I. And who am I to decide that, no, it doesn't mean that, it means something else? Because <laughs> what, whatever it means to the person who sees it, it's what it means. You know what? I want to jump through this telephone and kiss you right now because yeah. there... <laughs> Because there are so few people who think like that, you know, and I don't think you're, you're a pussy or a chump or a snowflake when you think in a considerate manner, when you think about what your fellow man experiences, because you can't take someone's experience away from them. If someone experiences something as offensive, then it is offensive. You may or may not agree about the degree. You may uh, disagree about how offensive it is, but you can't take someone's experience away from them. If it's experienced as offensive, then maybe you're a dick if you insist on saying it or doing it anyway, even though you know you're hurting people by doing it. Yeah, and then, but we also have to agree that there are limits as to how sensitive it is practical to be, right? Well, exactly, yeah, now, exactly, and there is a way to react when you are offended by something. Uh, what I find in my, uh, in my experience in life is that often the best thing to do when one is offended is to just keep your mouth shut and walk away. Because you're not going to, yeah. it's very rare that you're going to change someone's mind. That's why I reacted the way I did when you say that you understood that people were offense or offended by that flag because most people refuse to see the other side. Or used to admit that they should have known better. And, and I, but I was shocked. Not well, who, shocked. Well, who, was, who were, who were the people, who were the people who reacted? Were they they weren't Norwegians, were they? I bet you they were from the States, or... No, no. Uh, it was... Uh, the first reactions came from uh, um, uh, some Spanish followers on one of our... And then there were some North, North African followers of one of my... Uh, my uh, uh, also female athletes. Um, uh-huh. So the, the first I heard was when... This Spanish Norwegian strong woman, um, Sarah, had she told some other people at the gym that shit, I'm getting heat heat online because of Egil's flag up there, but uh-huh. I, I don't want to tell him. So, so I heard it uh, from other people. I see. And then, then one of my more regular members, Nina from Norway, who has uh, friends in Africa, also got heat for, about it. And I, in conversations about it i tried to get my point across that it doesn't mean that to me uh, and it's this is a this is a typical white guy racist i have black friends i'm not <laughs> yeah, a racist yeah but, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so i had but i had to um do a 180 
uh, or I had to do a 180 in like a couple of days, realizing that shit, all these guys are younger than me. Missed something? They have never seen. They have never seen the Dukes of Hazzard. They have never <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. They have never read about the Civil War. No. Realizing and and acknowledging that war and and the the, the Mason Dixon line that. that I felt that since I knew so much about the history that I was allowed to fly the flag. I see. But I have, I have to realize that you don't have to have all the knowledge to be offended. You, you are allowed to be offended with limited knowledge. That's true. That's very true. I, you know what fascinates me is that um, because when you first started talking about this, I'm thinking the people that complained would be american but they weren't they were from other places in the world and that kind of surprises me that that people who are not american who haven't been directly touched by that thread of american history called racism and the civil war and slavery and whatnot uh that they would react to that that's an eye-opener for me and but we're also now touching into the uh the type of um being offended on other people's behalf we are being really, we're starting to get really good at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my affection for people that I know really well for skin color or, or, or ethnic background, my love for those people might make me more offendable, if that's a word. I understand that. Yeah. You feel almost like you want to protect those that you know yeah. and that you love. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a natural instinct, isn't it? And that goes back to what you said, that even though you are this big bearded Norwegian guy who's into the Viking lifestyle uh, of from the days of old, you still have that open, kind-hearted, uh, caring side of yourself. Um, yeah. Well, there's and evidence of it to, right there. Yeah. So, so that story um, is a really good one for having to readjust your your opinions. And, and it's, it's, it's not easy for people to do. Not a lot of people these days are adjusting their opinions. They're just kind of plowing forward with that preconceived notion that they have about whatever subject and nobody's willing to change their mind anymore, it seems. No. Or am I meeting the wrong people? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think you are. Um, but I'm, I'm proud. And it's also strange. The fact that I am proud of knowing so many people of diverse ethnicities and stuff is also kind of, is also like a part of the same. The fact that I divide people into those boxes yeah. and actually I'm proud of having Muslim friends. I'm proud of having African friends and African American friends and American friends and, and Middle Eastern friends. The fact that I have those boxes to put my friends in actually makes me still a part of that, um, problem we have that I hear each other in boxes well I hear what you're saying but I don't quite agree um, because people are different you know I I I, how do I put it? Putting people in a box, I believe, is natural. The question is, and the, the, the question of kindness or mean-spiritedness comes when you ask, okay, you've put me in this box. Now what are you going to do to me while I'm in this box? I'm going to hug you. <laughs> well, you, you but you, you see what I'm saying? You know, I, I categorize my friends as well. You know, I have my Norwegian friends who are very different in general from my American friends. So they're in a box. There's two separate boxes there. But, but, but is that a bad thing? Am I treating them 
how do I put it? I am going to relate to them still, in different ways. But I still think I still think that the fact that I bring it up is it's like it's related to the sentence. Um, I cannot be racist because I have Muslim friends. It's 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 a part of that same. Um, I hear you. Yeah. Well, as long as you're not, you know, like I told you earlier, uh, as long as you're not one of those people who say I can't stand black people, but you, John, you're okay. You know, as long as you're not one of those, <laughs> and you're not one of those. And and childish that it's that is not. Uh, uh, I'm having a harder time believing that there are people like that then I'm having a hard time believing that there are people who talk uh, the Sami people down. That I can believe. Yeah. But are there really people who say that I don't like brown people, but, but Hassan is okay because he makes good pizza? Sure, absolutely there's people like that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I hear, I've heard it with my own ears. Oh, um, that is so bad. The first, the first job I got, <clears throat> before we moved up north, we lived for a few years down south in the Drummond area. And the first job mm -hmm. I had, I ran, I, I led a uh, after school project uh, at a um, at a junior high school here in Drummond. Um, and most of the kids were of a minority background. You know, maybe first or second generation immigrants to Norway. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of contact with both ethnic Norwegians and non-ethnic Norwegians. And very often um, I would be in discussions with parents and, and this would be quite often, uh, sadly, way too often where parents would say pretty much that same thing. We have issues with our children playing with these immigrant children but so-and-so or so-and-so is okay. Or yeah. John, uh, we have so many problems with the immigrant people in this area, but you, you're okay. You're okay, John. And, and, and I would always have the same discussion in my mind where I would be asking myself, do these people expect me to thank them? Oh, you hate immigrants, but I'm okay. Thank you. Is that what I'm supposed to say? And that yeah. happened. Sadly, it happened way too often. That exact situation way too many times. Yeah. And, and, and the solution to, to that kind of problem, the only thing, and I have to come back to it again, it is, as it is with religion and other things, it takes time. Uh, and and there's a lot of thing wrong with both the American society and the Norwegian society and the European and the African. Yeah. But to to get because we are we are not in a globalized world nation right now. We are on the brink of becoming a globalized people. And I see a lot of good things. Um, going on between cultures and between people and between different races, if you can still use the term race. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we are there yet. I think my kids and your kids will be, will be maybe the generation. The generation uh, that kind of gets it and kind of, yeah. 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 Because the same way that if my wife now came and, and presented a boyfriend to her parents in the 80s, and he was Middle Eastern, yeah. it would raise 
some issues. Yeah, yeah. But if my daughter now, and that, it, and I'm not meaning to say that I'm unique. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm the result of my daughter came home with a guy from Congo, mm-hmm. like pitch blue black, <laughs> blue black. My, my. I'm going to talk, I'm going to tell you the Viking word for black later. Um, I think my natural, genuine, honest inner reaction would be way better than what Kiki would have experienced if she did the same in the 80s. I agree. So those, I totally agree. Those 25, 40 years is the difference. I'm not the difference. I'm not that much better. I think it has to do with that change taking time. Back to the Viking word for Negro yeah. or, or black. If you read some of the old sagas, uh, the Vikings having been to America and the Vikings having been to the Middle, uh, to the Middle East. Um, have you heard of the saga about the black Viking on Iceland? You know what? I'm friends with uh, Rune Temte, the, yeah. the Norwegian actor, and he told me, uh, we were just joking that someone should write a script about a black Viking, and he said, there is a saga there about is. the black Viking. He did tell me about that. Do you know, oh. do you know the black Viking, he was whiter than you, because he was probably Middle Eastern. Yeah. And, and uh, the Viking color, they would probably have met Middle Eastern or Central European people with your complexion or lighter. Yeah. And they would immediately be labeled. Then the Vikings reached Greenland and and also met like the Inuit people, maybe up north in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and they were called Skradinger. Yeah. Yeah. Skrading. Yeah. Uh, but the African people, the, the, uh, um, I cannot see Negroid, it's a it's Norwegian word. I yeah. don't know what the English word is. Yeah. 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 They were I'm sorry, you faded out. Say that again. They were glue men. Yeah, okay. In, in like one word, like Broman. Yeah. It's a blue man. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, when an African person was was stolen or enslaved by by Vikings, it would be and if he were to be displayed and sold as a slave, it would be a blue man sold and a Middle Eastern guy would be sold as a black man. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they categorized a little bit more exclusively back then because you had the blue men and then you had the, the black men. Yeah. Yeah, and and I also think it's because they they ran into the the, the Middle Eastern people first and they yeah. kind of Kind of took the word black. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, a cool saga because he was he was initially a slave. He was a tell, and he was not a free man. But then he earned his freedom and ended up as a landowner. And being a landowner and of color is back then in in the nine hundreds is uh, maybe the best. Uh, is one of the best proofs we have that Vikings were not racist the way we are racist. I think back then people were more judged on their on their ability 
to the society more than the way they look. That's very true. That is something that I have always, you know, in, in, in my efforts to understand and learn about the Viking culture of those days of old, that is one thing that comes forward is that regardless of where you are from, regardless of what you looked like, if you met the standards of strength and ability and capability, yeah. you were accepted without question into the Viking society. And do you know the, the coolest thing about, um, one of the coolest things about the way Vikings ran their lives back then is the knesetting. What is that? Knesetting. You know, when, when, when uh, me and my wife have a child of our own, we take her to church and she's baptized, right? That's, right. Uh, that's the white Norwegian Lutheran way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if I die and Kiki remarries, uh, uh, my kids will be called stepkids, right? And he right. will be called stepdad. Yeah. Right. Uh, back in in the 800s and 900s in Norway and Sweden and Denmark, there was a totally different but really awesome practice that we really should reintroduce. Okay, yeah. So let's take the story of Kiki and I then. Um, Kiki and I have three kids. Mm -hmm. And I die uh, out uh, in Viking. And she, mar she marries my brother, because that was the, maybe the, the most logical thing to do back then. Yeah. There would then be a ceremony in his new house, formerly my house, <coughs> sorry, where he took my kids up on his knee and presented them to the family and friends and staff as his. Okay. And from that from that Khmer setting, they would no longer be they would be children, and they would have the automatic rights of inheriting the farm and all of my belongings when I eventually died, because there were no differentiation about bio children. The moment you have been put on the knee, presented to the family, and maybe the the town. Gouda, the town um, um, medicine man, whatever, uh -huh. um, as his kids, they would be his kids. So the, Interesting. the, the label, the, the bloodline was less important than that it is now. I see. It was more about who is working in the family group and fulfilling their role in the family group. Uh -huh. And that makes you that person. So there was a lot of remarriaging and there were several you could marry one person, then go live in, a, in England as a Viking, and then you can have a family over there. There were less rules and more like a practical approach to family than we have now. So the Knesetting, that's a really beautiful thing. Which translates directly to knee-sitting. Knesetting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you, put the, you put the kid on your knee. Right on your and knee, and there's the him, ceremony, yeah. And you present him to the rest like he's yours. Um, and... If you imagine Eric and Maria, my two foster kids, um, if you're a foster kid and you have any parents, who are you supposed to inherit? Where are your rights? In, in, um, I, I would like, imagine that for foster kids, they're kind of in a no man's land when it comes to exactly. inheritance and whatnot. So here comes is, here comes the old tradition of the Knesset, that thing where they can yeah. automatically be incorporated into that family unit with full full rights, I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah. Full acceptance. Yeah. yeah. And, and nowadays we need 
to like go through uh, stuff of adoption. Yeah, all that paperwork, all that legal yeah. legal stuff. Yeah. Oh. Nice, so, nice, uh, nice coffee mug there. <laughs> yeah. We're we're not on video, so people won't. Yeah, see they it. don't see they don't see what we're doing. You know, here here's one thing I would like to say. Now I'm I'm enjoying this conversation, and I think you're um, likewise. Thank you. You know, you, you, you said it yourself a couple of times. You have this reputation here in Norway. And I say in Norway, it's a nationwide reputation for being the tough guy, the guy who likes to butt heads with, mm-hmm. with what is normal uh, in society and what is accepted in society. You are, in many ways, you've been a groundbreaker, uh, kind of shaking up the, the Norwegian society with different issues. Uh, now, what, now, of course, people here in Norway know who you are, especially people in Norway within the, um, the training and fitness uh, uh, culture here in Norway. Tell people what your business is. What do you do from nine to five, or actually probably from nine to nine, <laughs> 24 hours a day, uh, so every day? What I'm, what I'm doing from, from eight to nine Eight to nine. <laughs> uh, yeah, from eight in the morning till, till nine in the evening, I, I do two things that is directly related to fitness and training. And um, I run the sales end of uh, PF or Protein Fabriken in Norway, which is a supplement company, uh, a lot smaller than Muscle Farm and Optimum and Ultimate Nutrition in, in America, but it's the same idea. We have a web shop. And we also distribute products um, not only in Norway, but also in now we're starting to sell on Amazon and we are shipping our, our protein bars and shakes and stuff to, to China, Israel, Italy, UK, Germany. So uh, I'm doing that uh, as a full-time job. And then at the same time, I run a... <laughs> For now, a non-profit gym. <laughs> a non-profit gym. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not meant to be a non-profit. I have a long-term, I have a long play going. But um, but Kiki and I have a couple of friends um, that uh, that we own a gym with. So we are like four four people who owns a gym, and we have made um, a holding company that we. Our plan is to just build a company that can provide our kids with a little bit better opportunities for business than we had ourselves growing up. Now you so, did, did you start protein fabriken, which translates no. to protein factory? Did you start that from the ground up or no, when, when, I, when did I, you come in? I came in in 2007 while I was still working as a, a corrections officer. Uh, and I clicked with, with uh, the owner and the, the grinder, which is called, it's the entrepreneur in English. Uh, when I was doing uh, a strongman competition and I was doing a fairly good job of putting that on and he mm-hmm. was the main sponsor and he called me after we put on, I think we put on uh, Viking Power Challenge in 2007 or six uh, and Bjorn Kenneth, the owner, the entrepreneur uh, said that I want you to work for me and and we, talk, we laughed about that and we talked about that for a year and I did some, I did some expos for him and then one day in, in August 2008, he called me on a Tuesday night. I was just done on, on the day shift in the prison. Uh, I, gotten, I, I still hadn't gotten out of my uniform yet when Bjorn Kenneth called and said, Egil, you have 
two days to decide whether or not you quit your job and move south <laughs> and start and start working for me. Two days to change your two life. Days. Yeah. Two so days to decide whether or not you're going to totally turn your life upside down. Yeah, and, and in, in Norway, to work in the government in Norway is really stable. Oh, absolutely. And really safe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, so, uh, but keep six months. Let's just upend our life and take the, the young kid, because Vilja was a couple of years old. Yeah. And we upended everything and moved down. And I've been here ever since. And it's, um, <laughs> it's one of those things that proves that when you get old, the only thing you will regret is the chances you didn't take. That is very true. That is very true. And look at what you've gotten. Look at the success you've had now just because you took that chance. Because Protein Fabrik and your supplement company, is it not the biggest supplement company in, in Scandinavia, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is the biggest in Scandinavia. Yeah. Congratulations um, on that. Thanks. Uh, and it's, yeah, you, you're quite right. I think, I think about that sometimes, how different life would be if I didn't. But I, I think as a Norwegian, it is more out of the comfort zone to do something like this. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> my impression, American mindset is a little bit more, uh, it, it seems like, the culture that has been building in America the last hundred years is more open to doing like real life um, decisions, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Um, there's more of an entrepreneur mindset in America. Mm. You know, uh, mm. that, that, that vision of people striking out on their own and doing something new is a lot more common and accepted in the States than it is here in Norway. Uh, in Norway, if you kind yeah, of, or even, or even applauded. Well, I was just going to say in, in Norway, people can experience a little backlash for daring to step outside that box. I don't know if it's mm -hmm. jealousy. I don't know if it's, I, you know, I don't know what that is, but sometimes you can be met with a little adversity from people that you thought would support you. But you don't care about that. You have a very non-Norwegian, you know, and, and, which I think is interesting. You've got a very complex personality, I think. You know, here you are. You're this Norwegian guy who is very grounded in Norwegian history, Viking history. Mm -hmm. you're a, you are a loudspoken, uh, a loudspoken and intelligent spoken proponent or supporter of Viking culture. And yet you do things that are extremely non-Norwegian, like being vocal in the media. Uh, yeah. Uh, striking out on your own and doing something so drastic, like you said, you know, you had two days to decide to turn your whole life upside down and start with something new. Fa I think it's fascinating. I, that's that's yeah, a great and, and personality that you have right there. It's very dynamic. Thank you for that. And I, I, um, but I, I have to touch back into why some Norwegians or Scandinavians find that action uncomfortable. I think that we are quite fond of those boxes we put people in. Back and the, the minute boxes, you yeah. start messing up the system by climbing out of your box and over to a different box, uh, you like you mess up the archives. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Norwegians are very rigid and they're very systematic. And, and I, I get that, I you know. So. Yeah, yeah. And so when they see somebody who is not very systematic or at least someone who is 
looking to start a whole new system and a whole new way of doing things, that can be a little bit scary for someone who is a little more, a little bit more traditional Norwegian, very conservative and and straightforward. I I want to touch into another subject, but I'll do it uh, with this as a stepping stone because. Yeah. Have you heard a lot of Norwegians talk about the old times and things were better before and back then people sure. things were better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My impression, I, I've been to America seven or eight times and I traveled to America in the last of my life. Never ever have I heard, I, I haven't heard Californian friends uh, Southern friends, Ohio, New Yorkers, I have never heard them say, back in my day, things were better. Okay. I've never heard the same expression. And I've stayed for weeks. I've been visiting people in Boston, New York, um, uh, Ohio, California, Virginia. And I've never heard that, like, Slightly negative towards people of this time and and lifting up the olden times. I see. Um, have you? Have you? Do you have people back home that use that phrase to say that things were things were a lot better better in the seventies? No. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. No. I don't know of anybody who's saying that. Yeah, but you hear that in Norway. Yes, I do. Absolutely, I do. I wonder what because that is. I've never thought about that. But that is a big difference. The, yeah. I think the modern kids in friends from Cyprus to South America to Australia. And I think that globalized thing that is happening right now is messing up a lot of middle-aged Norwegians' boxes. I think a lot of boxes <laughs> get ruffled and and people my age and older find that uncomfortable. I wonder if we should tape those boxes shut, shove them out of the way, put them in a closet, and get some new boxes. <laughs> yeah, my my son Eric would have some gaffer tape, some duct tape to fix that problem. I think. Yeah, <laughs> let's put let's put some lids on and, and shove away those boxes. <laughs> <laughs> shove those things away. You know, yeah. you you talked about uh, how you had uh, a couple of days to make a decision to turn your life around. I can see a little bit of. Um, that kind of mirrors my uh, experience with coming here to Norway. Yeah. It kind of happened very quickly. Uh, uh, I came here in 2002 and I came here with no idea. I was a police officer. I know. Uh, in the States at that time. Yeah. So I come here with, you know, I didn't know the language. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do. But I came here and I got started trying to make my way. And when I look from that first, those first days of uncertainty to where I am now, you know, there, there's a story in there. I'm not saying I'm yeah. special. I'm not saying I'm, but um, there's a book. I'm writing these days, yeah. <laughs> just so there's you know, some, something is coming out. Uh, eventually I am writing, a, um, I don't know if I want to call it a book, but I am writing some things that will become a book eventually. Yeah. Uh, but there's a story uh, in there and it's not a very Norwegian story at all. But, but John, what 
Um, because being a police officer is uh, an occupation of um, power, and it is an occupation of honor, and you're upholding the law, and you're taking care of your citizens in the block that you're uh, you're doing. Yeah. Uh, that must have been hard to let go of and step into and circle. It was, it was very hard to let go of. Now, there's a long story into it, but basically, I'm just going to say very briefly, uh, and I'll save the details for a later podcast, but uh, what had happened was, because I was a narcotics uh, and gang detective, and what had happened was, uh, in the course of an investigation, uh, the bad guys found out where we lived. Um, they found out where my wife worked, they threatened her. Uh, just imagine 15, 20 guys showing up at your wife's job. Uh, and I don't know what their intentions were. At the very least, their intentions were to send a message. Um, <laughs> and the message was, was received. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. When they showed up at my wife's job, um, uh, the day after I took a leave of absence, I drove my wife from... Uh, the South Chicago suburbs up to some friends in Minnesota. And she stayed there for yeah. a month. And then I went back to work, <laughs> took care of a few things. I'll just say that again. This is all, <laughs> this, is all this, <laughs> this is all for another episode. And, uh, okay. but, uh, but what happened was my wife stayed in Minnesota with our friends for a month. Uh, after that month, she, f I flew her here to Norway and then three, four months later, the 5th of June, 2002, I had quit my job, packed up everything uh, in the house, including my 1998 Chevrolet Blazer, put it into oh. a container and moved with all that stuff here to Norway. That was my journey from that fantastic, exciting, fulfilling, secure job yeah. to Norway. And what I, what I can say, just to, just to blow my own horn a little, little bit, I'm extremely proud. Like I was saying, to go from that, from dropping a career mm -hmm. uh, to coming to a foreign country, it's not foreign at all now. I know the language, I know the culture, I know the people. But at that time, it was very foreign. I didn't know the language. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I look where I am now, and I yeah. am one fortunate son of a gun. Yeah, but still, and I can r totally relate to that feeling because I worked as a corrections officer in a, in a government prison. Uh, I had a uniform. My father worked as a police officer in the same district, so he would catch some, some, some uh, criminals and he would drive to the prison with them and I would be the one taking them in through, the, through the process of getting them in the cell. And it was kind of a, like a small-town security position of power, a yeah. career kind of thing. My, my dream, I remember Tiki told me about this, like back in, back in 2006, I had uh, defined my goal, which was to be, um, I don't know what the rank is uh, in, uh, in, 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 in English, uh, but my goal was to become like the, the lieutenant. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, running the roster and making sure everything was going all right. But yeah. then all of a sudden, you just, okay, let's do something else because an opportunity arose. Uh, but you had to kind of, because the situation got so bad that it wasn't safe for you anymore to do 
Well, I felt, I felt that I had to. Now, my wife, to this day, she'll second guess that. Uh, every once in a while, she'll say, gosh, we should have stayed. And I, t- for, for me, there was a very fine line that was crossed. And that fine line is called the safety and well-being of my family. Uh, had I been single, had I not been married to her at that time, totally, totally different, different story. Totally different story. But that was my, she was my wife. We were two years married at that time. Um, and, and there was just no question. There was just no I, question. I, I wouldn't have done it any other way than the way you did it. It was pretty, um, it was pretty bad too. The first yeah. five or six years of us living here in Norway, we had help from the Norwegian authorities to keep our address and phone number and all that stuff private. Yeah. That's how serious it was. We had to mm-hmm. make sure that, yeah, we, that, that's just the situation that we lived with. Um, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people makes the mistake of thinking that other people's way of reasoning is the same as yours. So let's take these bad guys that you were hunting back then. The mistake would be to assume that they would have the same standards of decision-making as you had. So treating them like, oh, no, they would never do that because I would never do that. Well, it's yeah, yeah. Dangerous, well, it's a dangerous position to take. Well, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example on how the whole thing started. You know, uh, there was a certain point where things changed. You know, before that point, it was just another criminal case that I was working as a, as a detective, as a mm-hmm. gang and drugs detective. Uh, but all of that got turned upside down. There was one night, it was like 11, 11.30 in the evening, uh, 23.30. Uh, and we get a phone call from our neighbor, this busybody old lady in her 70s who was our neighbor. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Shirley, Shirley was her name. Thank goodness for Shirley because she called us and she says, John, I see some people climbing over the fence in your backyard. Ooh. And I can't describe, I mean, the, it, it felt, it felt like my heart just fell from my chest mm-hmm. all the way down to my nutsack. It just dropped mm-hmm. where it and where it ends up when you're scared. Exactly. It just exactly. dropped. I mean, that's, that's a little bit of a crude description, but that is exactly what it felt it's like. True. So I, I hung up with, with Shirley. I called 911 to my friends <laughs> at, mm-hmm. at, at the police station and, and, and that's it. I mean, it just, just like that, my, our, our lives changed. Our path through life changed right then and there. Um, I mean, that's how quickly it can happen. Uh, and I see how fortunate I am in that I went from that moment to where I am today. I'm happy. Uh, uh, you know, since that day, we've had two beautiful children. Uh, we're safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, successful, you know, life, life is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I'm not, <laughs> I can't say that life hasn't been difficult because I have had some difficult times here in Norway. Um, uh, there were several years of, of, uh, uncertainty, depression, uh, you know, that whole thing with having to deal mm-hmm. with, you know, my whole, at that time, what I thought was my identity was, was gone. You know, I'm no longer this police officer. I'm no longer this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's, so there, there were a lot of challenges in that I had, um, you know, you, you're running a gym now. I ran three gyms at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was part of my search to find a new identity. I don't think I was quite thinking 
correctly at that time, but I thought my identity would be based on what I was doing for a living. Uh, and oh my gosh, I enjoyed running those gyms. And I have to say this out loud. You and I have talked about this before, but I want to say this out loud for anybody that is listening. Uh, Egil is one of the most kind-hearted people I've ever known. And I, and again, I'm not sure how much you had to do with this, but there was that one, there was one point when I was just getting started in the gym business, um, where I had taken over a gym from some other people and that gym was in a lot of debt. So I took on Mm -hmm. that debt myself and I had a phone conversation. We were trying to decide if it were, or trying to remember if it, that phone conversation was with you. And this was way back in 2008 or nine, something like that. Was that, I don't know if that phone conversation was with you or with Alexander Schirkitaig, who worked at Protein Fabriken. Mm-hmm. But you guys, for, you didn't forgive the debt. <laughs> you, you were kind, but not stupid kind. But you let me, <laughs> <laughs> but you let me take, uh, I think it was like 18 months to pay it down. Mm-hmm. Was that you or was that Alexander? I'm, I think it was Alexander because I most certainly do, would do you have remember? remembered. Okay. You don't, re- no. so you don't remember any of that. No, I don't remember the story about the gym up North. I, I believe it's one of the gyms up North, right? Yes. It was, uh, it was called, uh, PF fitness center. Yeah. Um, up I in think it was Ale- yeah, up in uh, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, one of my best friends and also one of my best colleagues, Alexander, who handled that one. Um, and and it is it, like well, God bless him. I love him because he, he that was instrumental. You guys, you know, pay, uh, protein fabrican and and some other uh, um, suppliers of uh, of fitness products and whatnot uh, forgave some of the debt or allowed a, a, a period of payment uh, to pay down that debt. So, uh, but it's but I'm not surprised at all uh, about the way he, he handled it because what a great guy. Yeah, he is a great guy, and and I think he ends up being misunderstood in the way I can end up being misunderstood because How so? he is he is also a hard talking, brute, uh, and stubborn and argumentative kind of guy. And I've and the seen problem, yeah, I've seen some of the discussions the, he's gotten into on the powerlifting oh yeah. uh, the powerlifting community. He never uh, community. backs down because yeah. when he's right, he's tough. Yeah, he is right, yeah, and yeah. then he never and he's like a pit bull. Yeah, but. What people don't, what not all people realize about Alexander is he's really deep down a really good man. And the way he got started in PF is also kind of a cute story. And I will do it really <laughs> quick here. Um, we, were, we were on the verge of putting our products out in the retail industry in Norway. Yeah. And I had no clue as to what to do and how to do it. I posted a post on the, remember the old forums? Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Trainingsforum.no. Trainingsforum.no. Yeah, trainingsforum. yeah. I posted a post on Trainingsforum asking, do I have anyone in Bergen <laughs> who can handle a couple of convenience stores for me? Yeah. And then I got a phone call like two minutes after I posted the post. I, I saw on my phone that Alexander Sirkitag, and I knew him from the powerlifting scene. Yeah. He was calling me and I was thinking, oh shit, Has I ri- have I written something wrong? Am I, am I overstepping some boundaries here? <laughs> so what is he going to do? What is he going to say when I now accept the phone call? And when I accepted the phone call, it was maybe the second time I talked to him on the phone or something. Uh-huh. Um, he said, Egil, I would really like to take that job. And I was, what? Uh. <laughs> and then he, 
and then we started this, and and it's it, it's a little point about his his character, but it's to me it was a big point. I had eleven to thirteen employees at the time, working by the hour. So I would every week get like um, the, the the time sheet, the yeah, hour sheet, the time sheets, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would be the only one out of thirteen who reported fewer hours than he could because there's a rule oh. if you are supposed to go out and do a job you can actually put three hours in even though you just work two because to do to 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 be ordered to go somewhere you are automatically allowed to put down three hours right alex right. alex would put down 1.5 2.7 uh-huh. so after that initial period he was the only one that was hired from that initial group because I see. he he excelled in his work and he also like came across as super diligent on the details so you like saw he, his character uh his immediately immediately yeah. because of that timesheet i see i see and to be honest i hope he's not listening because <laughs> i realized pretty quickly that if he had lived down here I would be working under him because he's that good with numbers. He's that wow. good with strategy. So luckily for me, he he lives in Bergen, and that makes me uh, <laughs> I, I would outrank him because of that. But if he lived down here, I would step down and and let him take my job immediately. Hey, Alexander, if you're listening, stay in Bergen, okay? Stay there. <laughs> yeah, please stay in Bergen, Alex. <laughs> I've never I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. You know, I'm a powerlifter as well, and so we're in the same environment in that sense, but I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, but but I think when actually when you mention him being from Bergen, I hadn't really thought about that, but when you mention him being from Bergen, I think I'm almost positive it was him that I spoke with on the telephone all those years ago, and he allowed yeah. me to gradually pay down that debt. I so thank you, Alexander. I, yeah, yeah. And I, there is one topic I would like to address to our American listeners. Okay, listen up, America. Listen up. <laughs> I have, as I said earlier in the podcast, I've been to America like seven, eight times ish, and I've uh, I've run competitions in in Norway and Scandinavia since 2007 and had a lot of American athletes over. Strongman competitions, is, right? Strongman yeah. competitions. Uh, yeah. And and I had this talk with Sebastiana Lopez, I think is her name, uh, an adaptive athlete who competes in, in disabled strongman. Uh, I like to call it adaptive instead of disabled. Um, and we had the world championships in Buda, actually. Yeah. And, and this was just, a, this was, just after the 2016 election and we were sitting in the bar having a conversation and she would put her prosthetic leg up on the on the bar making fun of that and mm-hmm. placing her placing her drink on the prosthetic everything and um, and she had this attitude when she talked to me like she had something to be ashamed of okay and and whenever we talked about international affairs america norway she had this air of of shame going so i had to address that of course i had to poke shame about her physical condition or no no no. about being american about being american i see and okay here we go here we go and what i told her blew her mind in such a way that I think that a lot of you guys don't understand something. There is one thing that you guys don't understand about being American. What's that? 
your importance to the rest of us. Oh, let me, yeah. You know what? Uh, you can take me out of that box because I see it, <laughs> yeah. okay, but, but, but I don't think, I don't think I would have seen it if I was still living in America. No. So let yeah. me tell you, yeah. let us, let us yeah. tell the others. Yeah. She did not realize. And I think a lot of Americans don't realize one, how American culture affects the world. And two, how the elections in America affect the world population. And I don't think you guys, like the regular American, don't realize the importance of your position in the world. Uh, she was she was flab she was flabbergasted uh, when I told her that we was, would spend the night awake in Norway watching the American election. Yeah, and yeah. I said, why, why, why is that important? We there's nothing in our election that that has to do with you, she said, and I told her quite the opposite. Whatever you guys put out in the world, be it music, be it art, be it film, or political um, yeah. values or human values, those things are looked upon by the rest of the world as kind of a, as kind of a, a tone setting. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Do you think that it is still that way today or are the, are, is the world, let me formulate my question. Okay. I agree with you that, uh, at least up until a certain period, or I would say up until we got our current president, uh, what happened in America was very influential over the rest of the world. But mm -hmm. do you think it's still that way? Now, I know that people here in Norway are very interested in American politics as they are today with all the controversy with uh, Trump being the president. Um, but are they interested because of the controversy or do they still think that America is leading the world? Do they still think that America has the influence that it did before uh, I Trump think was president? To, yeah, but uh, I think you just you just did what uh, is, is at the heart of the issue. Yeah. Um, the difference between being the leader and having the influence I think that's where the road forks. There you go. Um, yeah, I don't. I think agree. That I don't think that the everyday Norwegian feels that America is leading the world right now. No. The way that the average Norwegian felt that America was leading the world when Barack Obama was president. Right. Because that guy would have a lot of Norwegians in the trenches with him if there was a war. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I don't think that. Um, uh, 2020 America is is the natural leader for educated Europeans. No, but up until yeah. up until number 45, I think we're I in agreement. Think, yeah, yeah. Uh, but American culture and American music and American art yes. and also the big thinkers, the scientists, uh, the American. I used to call it the machinery. Yeah. Okay. It's it's easy to make fun of. And not make fun. I'm, now we're back to Corona and COVID-19. America was late to the party. Okay. Oh yeah. That's let, undeniable. Let, That's undeniable. Yeah. And it's easy to like make like fun of that. But I'm going to tell you one thing that every Norwegian and European know is that when the Americans push a button, when the machinery starts, 
you have to go back to the Second World War and Germany to find its equal when it comes to rolling out the the measures and the the the, the American and, machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and what I think most Americans don't realize is that we and now I'm talking from as a European, we look up to the efficiency and the machinery and and everything good about America is valued by us. And I don't think you realize how much of the American culture is valued. So when you come over to Europe for the first time in your life, some Americans have this, this air of shame around them that they think that we look down on you yeah. while otherwise you are the big brother. Yeah. And we kind of idolize you, even though you're a bully sometimes. It's like the big brother thing. Yeah. And it yeah. is still real and it is still there. But well, I think you, I, forget, you forget to take credit for the good stuff. Well, I, I think there's a definite separation between American politics and the American society or the, or the American culture. And I can tell I'm, I'm the first one to admit that I benefit from uh, you know, let, let, let's let's push aside this whole thing with racism and the color of skin mm -hmm. and all that that we were talking about earlier. Uh, mm -hmm. Push that aside for a second, and I can admit that I quite often benefit from the fact that I am an American. I believe that was instrumental in my first job that I got here, running that mm -hmm. after-school program and working with children and whatnot. I believe it's instrumental in the 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 large or small success I have had or may have in the future with my music and my stand up, mm -hmm. uh, so I, th I think so too. So being I an agree. American opens doors, and that is the American culture. That's the American society. That is the uh, the recognition of the American machine, as we call it, the which is something totally different, totally different from American politics. The, the backpack that you have been issued with being an American. A lot of Americans fail to recognize that it's yeah. a good backpack yes. and that you have like an inherent value just by being American. Absolutely. You, some, of you, some of you guys might think that more people look negatively on you than they actually do. I trust, I trust in the fact that people can look at what is happening in American politics and 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 separate that from how they view uh, me as an American individual, um, regardless of who the president mm -hmm. is or what the president is doing. I truly believe that most people can differentiate. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. If you can't, I feel sorry for you. But there yeah. is a difference. There is a difference. But it was so good to have that talk with Sebastiana Lopez yeah. and and see her eyes change when she realized because it was an eye opener. I had to explain to her how the Norwegian constitution came to be the way it is in 1814, yeah. when the, when all these Norwegians gathered in a, in a small house in, <laughs> in like Eidsvoll um, and trying to come up with a constitution that could topple the Swedish or the Danish king, they had to look to the French constitution and the American and the constitution. American, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so you could say Norway has been uh, influenced by, or Norway kind of looks to America from day one, you know, of the of yeah. the signing of their constitution. Yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And 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 the less Americans know about world history, the less you are given opportunities to pat yourself on the back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I think I've done the citizens test for being an American. Oh, have I, you? Really? I, I, I wondered, uh, I, I, me and Kiki almost bought uh, 101 acres in Virginia once. So uh -huh. I, did, I, I took the citizens test. And I can tell you right now, 
the problem with the citizens test in America. And I think it is the same problem as with the history books in America. There is too much focus on wars that are already fought. Interesting perspective. Yeah. Why the fuck? And pardon my friends. Why the fuck do you need to bring up the Korean War, the Vietnam War, this war and that war and the Bay of Pigs and yada, yada, yada? Why is that essential now? If you took out all those, all those single wars and put in time, actual topics and things about America that is positively influential right now. And why would you need a new citizen to America to know about the Korean War or, or, or the Vietnam War or the war in Afghanistan? How does that's, that come? That's a good question. And I was not aware that those kind of things were on the, the citizenship test. Uh, no. Why would a new immigrant need to know those kind of things? That's a good question. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of the history, because I know a lot of Americans as well and their kids, and when I've talked to, to, to Hallie Rogers, which is, who is now in the Navy, uh, daughter of, of Patrick Rogers and Kareen Rogers, when she talked to us about her curriculum, there was a lot of stuff there that is stereotypical American, but might not do the American youth any favors when it comes to understanding the global world. Yeah. And you know what? She didn't... She, they, she had never been taught about the martial aid. Really? Bring up the, See, now I was taught that. I'm a little bit older, but I was taught that stuff in school in my day. About and the martial plan and whatnot. Yeah. The, the reason a lot of Norwegians aged 50 and up have a positive, positive, like basic positivity about America has to do with how America treated Europe after the war. Yes. Not only did America come to our aid and took out the Germans in collaboration with the Russians. But you had the Marshall Aid and the Marshall Plan pouring stuff into Europe yeah. from 1946 and outwards. Yep. And Kiki can tell about America packages coming to Norway. Yes, my father-in-law used to talk about that. Yeah, even, even up into even in the sixties. I was just going to say, even into the sixties, we have yeah. up at our farm up on uh, uh, on Silent, up in Finnmark. We have mm-hmm. in our barn, we have uh, the old burlap sacks yeah. where they had sent sugar and rice and yeah. potatoes and whatnot from the states, and the dates on those are anywhere from the forties up into the sixties. Crates where they were sending fruit. Same thing my from family. the forties into the sixties. In my, in my baptism, I have a, I have a chest back home at my parents where in that box lies my, my silver spoon for my baptism, a lot of other stuff from when I was a really small kid. And there's, um, like a big, huge American dollar coin in there. Ah, uh, yeah. That got silver sent, dollar, silver dollar got sent from a Korean family in America sending an America package to Norway after the war. So I don't know. I don't think the, um, the regular American growing up from 1965 and upwards realized the positive impact America has had on Europe. And when you don't have that backdrop yeah. and the backdrop is replaced with wars, yeah. you Kind of grow up thinking that you are the big you are the big bully, but while we regard you as the big brother. 
Maybe I should go back home and get into politics and see if I can change that citizenship test. <laughs> that is, I, I tell you, that, that, that is an interesting observation. Like I said, first of all, I didn't know that those were the kind of questions that were on the citizenship test, but that is such a useless uh, yeah. focus right there. Uh, I much would rather see the focus that you're talking about right now. That's what the focus should be on. Just try and take the test and you will be, I, I think I counted the questions and I think there were 11 war related questions on the citizen test. And it is completely useless deciding whether or not an Iraqi immigrant to America should become a good American. Because they know, know about the Korean war. Yeah. And Vietnam war. you know, I bet you that's available online. I should, when we're finished, I'm going to go, I'm going to go online and see if I can pull that up and just take that test and see, and yeah. just get a, get a little better understanding about what that's all about. So uh, I really, if, if I can make Americans think one thing about us when they listen to this podcast episode, it is that back and try and figure out the good stuff that you have put into the world. And that is why Europeans are looking to you before number 45, um, for guidance, for uh, like setting the tone as to what is important right yeah. now for the world. Yeah. And, it's, and, and golfing is not important right now. And your hair is not important right now. And whether or not you're, you have carrot colored skin is not important right <laughs> now or, or mainstream media yeah. or fake news, that is not important right no. now. Uh, and there are a lot of good American politicians who never get the chance of being up there inaugurated and, and leading the country. And you know which, which American politician has struck me as being a good leader right now? Who? Like right now? Like right now. Who? Uh, can you write down on a piece of paper who you think I might mention? Okay, let's see. Let me write this down. I'm, I'm going to write down two names. Okay, do that. Let's see. That one. I forgot the first name to the one, but I got their last name. Okay, I've written down two names. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't have his name. I just have his face and his position. Yeah. And the governor of New York. Yes, thank you. Right here. Yes. His name is Andrew Cuomo. That guy. Isn't he great? He is the white Barack Obama. I think he is such a central figure and what is going on today? He has such a calming leadership style. Oh. He's putting information out there. He's putting guidance out there. He's putting stability out there. And that is what I would love to see in yes. a leader. Yes. I miss that. And I kind of had forgotten that I miss that in our top leadership or in the presidency. Uh, until he started to become more forward. Now, you know, people can disagree or whatnot, but you cannot deny that that man is extremely calm in a situation of chaos right now. You can't deny that that man is putting information and guidance out there. And yes. I think it's essential we ask ourselves, we change the question we ask ourselves. We, know, we, we tend to ask, can this person lead? Yeah. And that is a logical question to ask, but I think it's the wrong question to ask. Okay. I think the question we should ask is, will I follow? Ah, yes. There you go, getting philosophical on me. Yeah. And, yeah. and 
I don't care how good a platoon leader or sergeant or XO that this governor would be. I only think when I see him and listen to him that, yeah, I'd follow. I look at him and I hear what he's saying. and I'm thinking, heck yeah, I'll follow that guy. He seems to know what's going on and he seems to have his head screwed on straight. He seems to have a vision to, to what needs to be done. And absolutely, yeah. There we go. And, and that is that is one of the names that I wrote down. Absolutely. So and in in the big American machinery that we touched upon earlier, there has to be some brilliant people. And I think that people like him, there are governors and senators that are among the brilliant people. Yeah. And and those are the people who should be put in places of power, not the ones with the money and the following. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I find I find uh, some ideas of Pete Buttigieg and and also Bernie uh, kind of cool and new in yeah. an American way new. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I can agree with with uh, Pelosi uh, in some things and, and, and Buttigieg and everything. But none of those people like bring the not call. I, I, want, I don't want to call it flame. But when I saw that governor from New York, I thought, yeah. He he is somebody that I would easily follow, uh, almost without question. At least yeah. from the start. Of course, as things begin to develop and you begin to see their leadership style, you can question that. But the way things stand now, and first impression is that that man is a leader. Who who mm-hmm. is a, who is another name that you were thinking of? I wrote down I wrote down his name and then one more. Who else could you think would be a good leader in the states right now? Um, I would have to. I would have to take into consideration whether or not the person would be successful. I don't think Bernie would be successful because he would meet too much opposition. I think, yeah, I think Bernie has great ideas, but yeah, there's just too much opposition. He would not be able to get anything done. He wouldn't be able to get anything done. No. And, and the other person I have on my list is, is not eligible for president. He would never be, be allowed because uh, he doesn't fill the criteria, which is to be born in America. Arnold. 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 Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh. Now, now, I didn't, now, I didn't write his name down. I had written down another name. But when you say that, and, and, and probably I didn't consider him because of this, the, yeah. the, 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 not being born, but he would be, you know, and people laugh. Oh, that stupid guy who was the governor in that California. That smart. Go back and look at the changes he made in the in California eco- in the economy of California. Go back and look at what that man did. Yes, you know, and I don't want to hear all this stuff about him, you know, cheating on his wife and all that stuff. That has nothing. <laughs> that 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 has nothing to do with his political or his his leadership abilities. Look at his leadership and decision making abilities. Compare that, his, compare his scandals to the current scandals. Well, it's well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. But what was the other name that you actually had on your list? You know, and I cannot remember his first name, but he is a congressman. His, he's one of the Kennedys. Uh, he's, I believe he's Robert Kennedy's grandchild. Redhead Kennedy guy from Massachusetts. And I cannot remember his first name. He's very young. I believe he's still in his 30s. But I can yeah. see that man after maybe a couple more election cycles. I could see him running for president and doing quite well. But- isn't that strange how the Kennedys have had like decades upon decades upon decades hey. of people of people actually uh, um, able to be a leader? 
there's something in the water they're drinking because they're just, so they're just putting out, they're just putting out politician after politician after politician and people can debate whether or not, yeah, see, see, yeah, here, yeah. Here, see, here's my thing about politicians. You know, I can disagree with them or I can agree with them, but regardless of that, if you are a successful politician, you know, hats off to you. You're doing something right because you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting people to follow your way of thinking somehow. You know, sometimes I can't understand it because sometimes I can think he or she is so crazy politically that I just can't see how people follow. Mm-hmm. But get beyond that and I see the success in what they're doing. And you have to appreciate that. Yeah. But yeah, the, he's a Ken. I cannot remember his name. That's um, no. I'm not a very I good. Think, I think politics right now is, is more about the vibe you put out and being like an honest, true, good human being and being able to to be a part of this new global thing that is coming. Because you have to, as an American president and as a Norwegian prime minister, you have to be able to fly down to Brussels and talk to all the other leaders and not be the, 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 the clown. Yeah, you know. You don't, you don't have to be the natural leader like Angela Merkel or Barack Obama or, or um, what's this Norwegian guy in the NATO, uh, Jens Stoltenberg. Jens Stoltenberg, you don't need to, yeah. You don't need to be that guy, but just be... Well, you have to have elements. You have to have elements of those people. Yeah. Yeah. And you could see, like, I could see Buttigieg do that, and I could see um, a couple of other... um, uh, I, I could actually see Biden 10 years ago do that, not Biden now. Well, I think it's sad that... um, I think it's sad that on the Democrat side that we've ended up... It looks like we've ended up with Joe Biden. Now, I'm not saying Joe Biden is a bad person or a bad candidate, but I just think there could have been a better candidate. And what the heck happened that some of these, what I think are good people, they seem to have the right intentions. Uh, What happened to them? Why did they fall out? Why did they not get the support? What the heck is going on in my country? Well, is it the is it the money or is there something it else in this? Is it something it in the is it something in the collective psyche of Americans that says uh, that says no to change? Because, like I said, Ber- Bernie I think would be a good candidate, but he would have too much opposition. But why yeah. would he have too much opposition when it seems like he has the best interests of America at heart? Yeah, but right now the game is to block the other yeah, side all yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah. And it ends up being a bad football match when all you are good at is <laughs> defense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And all it is about is blocking the other side. So there's so much time being spent about why the other side is wrong instead of, I, I want to know yeah. what you're going to do. What are you going to do? What are you going to change? What are you going to make better? That's what I want to hear. Nobody's talking about that. We have the same stuff in Sweden and Norway as well. And I have a friend that is a politician in Sweden from the almost the most right-wing party in Sweden. Uh, And he is working in health right now. And he told me a story that is scary. He is focusing on not immigrants, not crime. He's focusing and working with health, health questions in in Sweden. And he had this brilliant idea on how to uh, reduce the... The queues, people lining up for surgery in Sweden, in a certain area in Sweden. And they saw that some hospitals had way more cases that they can handle and other hospitals had room for more patients. And he came up with a solution on how to fix this. Yeah. But 
whenever he would raise the issue, he would be voted down because he came from the right-wing party. Uh-huh. But he did a deal with one of the ladies in one more mainstream party and gave her, he gave her so she all fronted, his work. she fronted and the she idea fronted then. The ah, idea. Yeah. And immediately it got clubbed in because it came from the right source. I see. So even here, we have the problem with accepting good ideas when they come from the wrong person. And I think that is at the core of the issue. We need to be better at accepting our mistakes. And I'm back to, and I'm back to the Confederate flag right now. I was just going to say, come in full circle. Yeah. We need to get back, get better at accepting correct ideas and better ideas, regardless of where they come from. I totally agree. Here's a good example of that. Um, on, like on my Facebook feed, on my Twitter, and on my Instagram, I very rarely talk about politics. I try to use my social media for entertainment, for mm-hmm. for uplifting messages, funny mm-hmm. things, and uplifting and messages. You do? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> but but I do have a forum on social media where I can discuss politics with other people who are in this in this forum. And one thing that we talk quite a bit about is how. So many Americans are against what they define as socialism. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of months ago, <clears throat> when there was discussions about um, strengthening the social welfare system for Americans, a lot of right-wing people, a lot of Republican people are so against that. Oh, my gosh, it's socialism. No, 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 no. It's socialism. <laughs> what is happening now? Now they're talking about giving Americans X number of dollars. I think it's $1,200 to get through. What is that? That's socialism. Now they're talking about pumping money into corporations so that they can stand on their feet through this crisis. What is that? That's socialism. And now it's okay because it's coming from a source that these people who are Republicans uh, uh, agree with and listen to and respect. It is the Republican Party itself. It's the White House itself that's coming up with this socialistic policy. And now all of a sudden everybody accepts that and thinks it's fine. The whole uh, problem here is the word socialism. Exactly. Because exactly. the word has been ruined. And, well, what they're calling and, it now is a stimulus package. Yeah, but <laughs> the naysayers would call it socialism, yep. which is inherently bad. But there's a big difference between shaving and cutting your head off. <laughs> exactly. You don't go full-blown Mao or full-blown Stalin no. exactly. to give people a foundation to, to fo- like a safety net. Exactly. And I tell you what, that safety net, um, I wouldn't even call it a safety net. Well, I, I look at, for example, when my daughter was born. Uh, my wife stayed home for six weeks, which at that time, and maybe it's still that, that way that the wife has, the mother has to stay home at least six weeks after, after a baby is born six weeks. Mm -hmm. This was in 2005 when our daughter was born. So she stayed home six weeks with our daughter. Then she went back to work and then I stayed home for a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, totally normal in Norway. I got, uh, I think I got 85% of my pay. Uh, and good God, what a beautiful experience that mm-hmm. I benefited from because the Norwegian social system is set up that way. Um, when I but look at makes... the, well, and I was going to say, just, just to finish, when I, when I see, when I feel, and I see to this day what that 
time period, what that one year at home with my daughter did for my daughter's life and for my life, and we are still having the family, uh, the the family uh, benefits of that that we that we feel today because I was home for that one year is just amazing. And I question why. My question is is why can't we have something like that in America? All it will do is strengthen family bonds. And I will tell you right now that the naysayers would call that a socialist short-term solution, which uh-huh. costs money. But what it really is... I don't mind paying taxes a, for it. Uh, yeah, it's not my kid. Why should he get my money? But I'm going to tell you right now, that decision to let you stay home for a year or let the mother stay home for a year uh-huh. is long-term it makes long-term capitalistic sense because the quality of your daughter's life will be so positively affected by that year that she will become a better citizen by having her parents being able to be normal parents than the short-term socialistic period is is looked upon as. So it makes capitalistic sense to to produce a good, uh, stable, safe child. Now, of course, and I say this very jokingly, but of course, the quality of that parental care for that year has to be secure. Now, my wife was home for a year with our son, and I tell her all the time, look how screwed up our son is, and look at how great our daughter is. So. <laughs> but I, I think a lot, of, a lot of it, and I see the same now in this yeah. virus uh, period, and I was, about, I was thinking about this before the podcast. It's not a competition, guys. If you look at the media right now, when they present the numbers, it almost looks like they are presenting the results from a competition of who is doing the worst and who is doing the best. And I think we come back to that when we are discussing Norwegian socialism-ish way of doing things and American capitalistic things way of doing things. Um, It's not a fucking competition. (laughs) And... Whatever makes, whatever produces the best outcome is the correct solution. Well, not wh- yeah. yeah. And I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was just going to say, I think that, you know, if for those who want to look at it as a competition, the results are there. It's very easy to, you know, okay, you know, you, you want to trumpet from the mountaintops that socialism is wrong. Well, what about the results? It's so easy to look. You know, where is America? Now, it might sound like I'm bad-mouthing my own country. You know, I love America. I'm not saying Norway is better than America. Uh, and I'm not saying Nor- uh, America is better than Norway, but it is a fact that Norway falls very high in the rankings of um, uh, uh, job security, um, satisfaction with your job, uh, personal income. Norway Con, uh, consistently falls higher on that scale, if not number one on that scale, whereas America falls down in the low 20s, uh, high 30s. So something is going on in America that needs to be fixed. You know, when the per capita, uh, yeah, what, what do you call that? When the, um, um, when the take-home pay for Norwegians is so much higher on average than it is for Americans, Maybe America needs to look at their job, uh, you know, uh, their, 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 their stance towards unions, for example, and the there rights of some, their workers, uh, there for are example. Some drivers. There are some 
initiators in a society that drives things to be a certain way. But I think, just to, to, just to, 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 to flip the whole thing here, if you just disregard pay and disregard uh, jobs and, and unemployment and look on one thing, the ability to um, climb the ladder from your class, whichever class you're in, yeah. up to the next one. Yeah. 50 years ago, America was the place to be if you wanted to go from lower middle class to higher upper yeah. middle class. And right now, <laughs> you are being pushed back again because of some some there are some boundaries right now that make it difficult for a, yeah, a yeah. young young black kid from a single parent household to become an entrepreneur is harder now than 30 years ago yeah. and that is a very easily measurable statistic yes. that's not opinion it's not a question of of whether it's factual or not it is very it's easy to research it's all right there and i think that whatever Scandinavia lacks in in being a naive part of the world and being um, a, because we are it's easy to direct and lead five million people. Sure, than it is yeah. three hundred and thirty million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. but if you just disregard all that, I think what we have gotten right is the equal equality of opportunity instead of equality of outcome. Say that it's again. Not, you feel we have Norway has gotten correct the okay. equality well, think, of opportunity. I think. I, I just want you to repeat that because I couldn't hear you. Yeah. Faded a little bit out. The fight is not about equality of outcome. I don't think it is fair ah, to see. demand that everybody ends up at the same level of income or the right. same uh, same right. same house, same right. car. But, right. but I think that. If you just provide the equality of opportunity, yeah. you will yep. end up with a better society. Totally than agree. If, totally agree. Because I have friends who couldn't care less about the car they're driving. They couldn't care less about the size of their home or the, or the thickness of their wallet. But they want the opportunity to be able to start a business or, yeah. or be... Uh, yeah. So um, instead of focusing on women need to be as well represented in boards as men, blah, blah, blah. No, they should have the same opportunities. And so should a black kid or a Sami kid or a white kid. Yep. Equal opportunity. Just, yeah. Not necessarily equal results. That'll work itself out, but equal opportunity. Yeah. I'm there. I'm with you. Yeah. 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 And totally I don't agree. need the next president of, Ameri of the United States to be, be a woman. Only Doesn't have to be. No, only if only it happens if that to. way. Exactly. Yeah. If it happens so equality, that way. Yeah. And, and I would love for more American female politicians to run for president, but if they're not the right leader, I want them to lose. I totally agree. Uh, who was it? I think it was Chris Rock who had a joke. Um, someone confronted him and said, you're only supporting Barack Obama because he's black. And he said, uh, uh, he said, I'm not supporting him because he's black. I'm supporting him because he's the best candidate. He said, if, uh, if, uh, if Flava Flav was running for president, I wouldn't vote. I wouldn't vote for him automatically because he's black. Yeah. So yeah, equal, yeah. Equal yeah. opportunity. It doesn't have to be a black guy next time. It doesn't have to be a black woman or a woman. Just let it be the best person, but let the opportunity for all of them. I can, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I can see the, 
I can see the historic point and the fun point of, of Pete Buttigieg winning. I can sure, see the, sure. I can see the, 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 I can see the, 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 the benchmark being yeah, moved. And, and that would be a great thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I, right now I'm, I'm rooting for the guy who, who, who looks like the best leader. And right now he's not in the race at all. Right now he's not in the race. Uh, <laughs> Arnold. Yeah. No, well, no, 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 you no. think Cuomo, Cuomo, actually. I, Cuomo. I, I, I think about the governor of New York, yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, gover- the governor, not the governator. <laughs> not the governor. No, um, I think we're, we're living in interesting times, uh, we are. John. This, yeah. is very, this is very interesting. You know, how, how is this um, self-quarantine situation, how is that affecting you business-wise? Or is it affecting oh, you business-wise? Business-wise, it is ruining me. Okay. Um, yeah, but, but like... Um, I'm so proud of the kids and my wife, and we are getting better at this hygiene thing every week. And we're not, we are, we are coming up with measures every day or every other day that increases our security. And, and we are taking this as, this is maybe the the good competition. We are fighting this virus like it is a fucking game. (laughs) We are, we are not going to let it uh, take us down so so we are we are washing and disinfecting and making the gym ready to to reopen again and we are taking our temperature every night and we are we are okay. filling out filling out a spreadsheet to make sure that nobody in the family has gotten the temperature but uh-huh. business wise business wise it is hurting pf in a really bad way we are down 40 percent uh, and we have um, i'm is it called to be laid off laid off yeah yeah, not fired, but laid off. Yeah. Uh, every I laid off my boss fifty percent, and he laid me off fifty percent, and and a lot of my colleagues are are completely out of work because they cannot visit the gyms. They cannot. There are no gyms running, right. so there's nobody to sell product to, and so PF is in a really tough situation right now, and we are fighting to to keep it afloat. And my gym got shut down, of course. Yeah. Like any other gym got shut down, yeah. and we we rent is still due and we just have to uh, we're going to fight it it's we're not gonna easy. make it it's not easy but in the if you if you just take a couple steps back and even one of the kids said it the other day if we could live in a smaller house we don't need two cars we can make do with what we have blah 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 and the kids are taking this in stride we are, that's we are washing, hands, washing hands and laughing. Well, that's um, a sign. Let me, say, let me just say this. That's a sign of good parenting. If the kids are calm and good-natured, that means that the parents are calm and good-natured. So thumbs up for that. But also, my kids have a different perspective because every summer we live in a tent and play that we are Vikings. So that's right, you to, do, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so like when living in a tent is, the, is, is like the low point, and that is, and, and they remember... They remember that as a cool thing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like losing your house yeah. might not be that big of a deal if you're used to living in a tent. Well, hey, <laughs> talk, talking about the, the, the you know, hand washing and cleanliness and all that, I did read something the other day that said that men with beards should shave them because beards are gathering bacteria. What do you think of that, you with your big old uh, Viking beard? Yeah. You going to shave I, that thing? I, <laughs> no, no way. I'm going down. I'm going down with the beard. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. Um, it is good that we like this is a good exercise in dealing with the next 
disaster. Absolutely. It, In all seriousness, it, absolutely, yeah. Be it a pandemic again or a nuclear war yeah. or whatever, this is a good exercise of preparing your kids for whatever might come in the future. And to... I think to we're going to be... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. No, to, 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 to be prepared is something we might have yes. lost the... What do you, we have lost our edge. Well, well we, we've had it so good for so long. I don't yes. think that a lot of people, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. My wife and our kids, we're, we're fine so far. Uh, and I don't see us being anything but fine for quite some time to come. So we'll be okay. But I am thinking over, you know, okay, how is this thing going to develop? How long is it going to be th this way? Um, but I hope that people, as you say, use this as a time to, yeah, feel, you know, dip your toe in that pool of uncertainty now. Yeah. Figure out how are you going to get through this in the best way? You know, what is it doing for your family dynamic? What is it doing for uh, your sense of security? And how are you and meeting this important? challenge? Exactly. And what is important? How how important is your teenage daughter's handbag right now, Mr. <laughs> uh, West side of Oslo parent? Exactly. Like, I think this pandemic situation is actually making us prioritize better. Sure. Sure. And I have to tell you, um, I've been the one going to the grocery store the last month because my wife is in the uh, risk group. Uh, I've never been said hi to and smiled to as much as I've been the last last month. Oh, really? People are nicer. See, and uh, I'm going to take your word for that because I have been inside since the 10th of March. Yeah. I have asthma, so I'm keeping yeah. myself, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I just don't need to die from this. I'll die no. eventually, but not now and not from this. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I I'm, I'm staying in and... Um, but take my word for it. I've seen more smiling faces and more... Um, awesome. because Norwegians are not outgoing. Oh, no, not at no. all. No, no. But it's been Americanized now in the stores. Uh, store clerks are saying, hi, good morning. Okay. In ways they didn't before. I hope that sticks because as an American in Norway, I've been here for 20, almost 20 years now. That is one thing that I miss. Every time I, I go home, you. every time I go home to the States on vacation and I go into a store and I get filled with so much, yes. I don't know, love for my country, just from the way people talk to each other. You know, you go to the cash register to pay and it turns into a couple minutes of conversation. Mm -hmm. It turns into eye contact. It turns into a smile. You just hear it in the air as you walk around the store, people laughing, talking, interacting with each other. And that just doesn't happen here in Norway. Nope. No, and, but it's now it's, it feels more and more like footlocker and, 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 <laughs> and, and, and Lowe's and Home yeah. Depot because sometimes the American store clerk might come across as just following the script, but yeah. it is not, it, but it's a nice script. It's a, it's a, it's a script that opens up for conversation. Yeah. To me, it's not a script to me. It is such a, you know, I'm from Ohio. I'm from small town, Ohio, or you could say rural Ohio. Yeah. Uh, at least it was that way when I was a kid. And, and that, that, that thing that can be, um, 
interpreted as a script is so natural where I come from, where people, I mean, they, they ask how you're doing and they mean it. Tell me, how are you doing? You yes. Know? But, yeah. but that is, that is Ohio. I've been to Ohio three times, but if you, if for the you, Arnold sports festival, maybe, of course, yeah, I've been flying in and I've been driving in and I've been to gas stations on my way into Ohio. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I've also been in California and in, in Virginia and New York. And I've met some places are, it's more scripted than other places. And I can totally agree with you that uh, in the mall in Columbus, Ohio, the the hi, how are you is maybe a little bit more genuine than in California. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But well, and they, right now, right now we are copying you guys because people are so glad to see other people. So, <laughs> so if I step outside, it's almost like going back home to Ohio. <laughs> yeah, you can look for, have something to look forward to. Go to the grocery uh, store in, in a month or two. You will be greeted. Uh, uh, it, it, and they are really, and I'm impressed. I'm really, my, my, my uh, oldest daughter, she just uh, moved out. She's working in a, in a Rematusen store in, in Sonnefjord. And, and she is working hard. I have an American friend who lives here in Norway, and she also is working at uh, Rematusen down in, uh, it's a grocery store, for those of you that don't know, a grocery store down in, um, in, uh, in uh, Porsgrunn's uh, Sheen yeah. area. And she says it's a madhouse. She's been working her butt off, keeping the shelves stocked and whatnot. Uh, I don't think Norwegians are, are hoarding food, but they are buying more than 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 usual. Yes. So the people working at this at those stores, hats off to you. They're 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 doing I've a good seen, job. I've seen the numbers from the from the statistics, uh, and uh, the grocery shopping is up thirty five to forty percent, and that means that the same staff with worse conditions, having to clean everything twice a day, uh, has to put out 40% more product. Yeah. 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 So, so they are really working hard and they are the workers in Norway with the, maybe the, the lowest income and they are the ones keeping us calm right now. Because when you go to the grocery store and you see that there is toilet paper, you have your soda, yeah. you have your beer, yeah. Yeah. You, you have your potatoes, you know, everything is going to be yeah. all right. Yeah, but if good. you were met by empty shelves, I tell you one thing. I hope they go empty for is uh, that disgusting uh, mackerel in tomato sauce. I can't believe. Oh, I can't I totally believe. Agree with you. I that can't believe you guys thing. eat that. Oh no, we, I don't. I don't. It you is, don't. Okay, it is, I like you. It's the worst <laughs> thing that ever is like put a price on. I cannot imagine. I would rather eat cat food. I have, I have, you can, you can see it because we're on a video chat, but if the people could see the ugly look on my face when I think of that mac oh. mackerel and tomato sauce and I sit at the table and I watch my poor half American oh. children eat that and it's I so just, bad. oh my God, it's oh, disgusting. I, I, it's, it's worse than cat food. <laughs> the way it looks anyway. Yeah, I've never ate. I would I've, rather, I would rather eat cat food. I can't get past the way it looks. I have never eaten that. I never will, but I can't get past the smell and the way it looks. I will never eat that stuff. It's disgusting. Then we agree on yet another thing, my friend. <laughs> I tell you, you, you are, um, I think I said this at the beginning or maybe before we even started uh, recording this episode. I've always thought of you as a good person from what I see with your online presence, from what I've seen with different uh, uh, uh uh, social issues and whatnot where mm -hmm. you've been in interviews and, and kind of prolific in the Norwegian society. 
I hope that people understand, because I think it's very easy to get that stamp on your forehead if you have anything to do with the health and fitness environment. People think you are a certain way. You are Mm -hmm. kind of in this little, here we go to boxes again. You're kind of in this box of, you're like a meathead. All you know is this stuff about working out and, Mm -hmm. and that's it. But there's so many different sides to you. I've seen it. I've known it. But now here is proof, you know, through this, yeah. through this conversation that we've had. And therein, finds the, find, we can find the whole reason for me doing this podcast. I just want to talk to people that I think are interesting and have a good conversation with them. So. But I know, an, I know another person who gave me the exact same experience that you, because you know me a little bit from before from my 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 social media presence but i had the same um let's call it revelation when i met mm-hmm. ed cohen the first time oh shout out to my brother ed i yeah yeah i'm sorry tell your story i'm going to talk first, about him like yeah. ed cohen the goat the greatest of all time um he also to me had this this official like public persona yeah um like Technique focused, yeah. uh, work ethic, knucklehead, only focusing on the weights and the kilos. And but when I met Ed for the first time, I think and I and I hope I come across the same way as he came across to me. Like the persona behind that power ball, the persona behind the quads, and the persona behind the the pit bull presence yeah. is so warm. And so genuine and so funny. And because when you talk about me, I think about Ed. Because uh, he, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you now, I've known Ed since I moved to the Chicago area in 1995, late 1995. Mm-hmm. First time I met him, I don't know if he'll remember this. Uh, I go into Quad's gym, world famous Quad's gym. I walk in there um, and I start, you know, preparing the bench. And at that time, I was not a powerlifter. I was a bodybuilder. So I had no idea. Well, I had heard about Ed Cohen, of -hmm. course, because when I was in the Marines, I was friends with a lot of powerlifters. So they talked Mm -hmm. about Ed Cohen. This was in the the middle, early to middle 90s. But I didn't really know that much about him, and I certainly had no idea that he worked out at Quad's gym. So I'm in there getting ready to bench, and then this this short guy, Ed, Ed is so stocky and, and just, he looks like a machine. Yeah. This short, stocky guy walks up behind me and says, quite softly and quite humbly, he says, is it okay if we work in with you? <laughs> so I turned to the side and there, and there's Ed and I still, but, but, but listen, but I didn't get it. I didn't get it that that's who he was. I didn't know. I, oh. To me, he was just this big, stocky, strong looking guy. So I'm like, yeah. yeah, sure, sure. No problem. So he comes in and, and puts his bag down and slowly one by one, the crew that he worked out with came in. So I had this workout session and it wasn't until afterwards <laughs> You know, because, of course, in the process of training, everyone's like, Ed this, Ed that, hey, Ed, you know, talking with him, and they're saying his name over and over. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Was that that Ed Cohen? So on my way out, I look, uh, I'm looking around on the walls, and there's all these pictures, not not a lot, but a few pictures of, of this same guy 
mm-hmm. uh, training, pictures up on the wall and stuff. So I asked the guy in reception and I point to a picture. I said, hey, who is that guy? And he says, that's Ed Cohen. And then it clicked who he was. So that was my first introduction to Ed. He was just another guy training at the gym. He was so humble, so kind, and so mm-hmm. accepting. Now, through Ed, here I am, I'm just talking on and on, but I, I love talking about this guy, and I love talking about Me too. and I love talking about his beautiful lady, Hagen Nielsen. Yes. Now, I knew Ed, this was in 1995. I want to say it was in 96 or 97 that Hagen moved to Chicago to stay, to, to be with Ed. And mm-hmm. I met her that first day she came to Quad's gym after she moved to Chicago and we just clicked immediately. And ever since then, she has been my absolute best friend. She is the one who introduced me to my wife. Hagen, my wife have been friends since they were, oh, since my wife was a kid. A cool story. I think my wife was 13 years old, 14 years old when she first met Hagen. And Hagen uh, is the one who introduced me to my wife. I, I met my wife for the first time back in 1998. They're, they're you know at, the fun at thing? I can sense that you and I, we have the same perspective on Ed Cohen. We have both realized that um, the, the icon has a person and a heart behind it. But he, but I have a fun thing. Yeah. Because my kids have met Ed the other way around. Okay. So my kids, Eric and Vilja, when they met Ed last year, uh, they got to know just another one of mom and dad's friends yeah. at the hotel, at the venue, who was cool and funny. And, and, uh, and they got to know Hege. Uh, and they sat down and listened while we grown-ups talked late in the evenings. So Vilja and Eric got to know Ed from the other side of the story. And I then Vilja, two months later, Vilja come running down. Daddy, I found a video of Ed on YouTube. You have to see it. <laughs> so, and she realized the other yeah. way. She found out about the goat after she met the person. Well, 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 yeah, you know, and I know Ed, of course, I, I've, I came to know his, his uh, accomplishments as a powerlifter, but what I think of the most for Ed, and this is very emotional for me, but <clears throat> you've probably picked up maybe on a pre- previous podcast episode or maybe through my social mm-hmm. media that I lost my son mm, I uh, very recently to a heroin overdose. But when my son was just a baby, barely able to walk, I would bring him to quads with me when I would work Mm. out or sometimes just to go there and hang out with the guys when I wasn't working out. And Ed, Ed was so kind and patient and loving towards my son. And I will never forget that this was, it was a bad time in my life. I was going through some issues with my wife at that time and we ended up Mm -hmm. splitting up and getting a divorce. Um, so things were a little rough for my son at that time, but Ed now, now one thing about Ed is he has this, uh, I mean, it was fascinating to watch him train. He would get focused and you could just see the focus in him and don't talk to him when he's preparing to do a heavy mm-hmm. squat set or a deadlift or whatever, leave him alone, let him stay in his box. And everyone knew that, but my son three, four years old would come up to Ed and sit in his lap and, ju- and play with him. And that is the only time I ever saw someone allowed to break Ed Cohen's concentration mm-hmm. as he was preparing for a heavy set. So that, that, that is my thoughts of Ed. Ed, if you listen to this, I love you. He, he know, you know, I love you. Uh, yeah. I love that guy. I love your lady, Hagen Nielsen. Hagen, shout out to you. You're my best friend. But those two people right there, 
Um, I guess the sad they thing. Are icons. Yeah, I guess they the sad. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's just, uh, those are two good people. Those are two of the best people walking this earth right now. Yep. Ed Cohen totally and Hagen Nielsen. They, aren't they just the best? Yeah. <laughs> they're just, and they're perfectly made for each other. They fit so well as a couple. Their humor back and forth and their, mm -hmm. their mindset, they, they, ju they just fit. Yeah. They just fit. It's, it's. It's the way it's supposed to be. And, and isn't and isn't Hager one of the funniest people? I tell she should have her own podcast or her own radio show or do stand up or something. She is so doggone funny. Yeah, but I think also we have that impression because she makes fun of Ed all the time. Oh. And <laughs> so those two together, they should have a podcast. They should just do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yo, those two, those people are good people. I love they that guy. He, yeah. he was very instrumental. Not when I knew him at that time, I was a bodybuilder, <clears throat> but I learned how to squat and deadlift properly from him. He was Open so your taint. Huh? Yeah. Open <laughs> your taint. Yes. But he was so, he was so, um, accepting. He allowed me into his little circle of training buddies and, and literally taught me how to, the, the first time I squatted 600 pounds was, was with him. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. I, those were some good years. And I'm, and, and that's why I, I think that's why, well, I don't think I know that's why I have the success in powerlifting that I've had, it's because of that foundation that I got with him. Even though I was a bodybuilder all those years ago, I owe that foundation, that focus and that mindset to him. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I feel, I feel privileged to be able to say his name without adding his last name, like being yeah. able to say Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Or Eddie. So, I, I'd call him Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guy. Uh, uh, yeah, we're we're fanboys, Ed. <laughs> no, no, but you know what? I I'm 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 not a fanboy. I'm a friend. Yeah. He and even even in these in in the the last weeks of my son's life, Ed was instrumental. We tried. I tried so hard to get help for my son, and Ed, mm. uh, without going into detail, Ed was very instrumental in uh, something that I tried to do to help my son. So. That's the kind of guy Ed is. Of course, he's a great power lifter that he, that he has been, but above and beyond that, he's a good guy. That's what I think, I think of when I think like, of Ed. It, it's, it's sad to, to compare Ed to people who have just died, but um, if, if you think on it, there are, you have, you have uh, stars, like people who are stars, yeah. and then you have like these icons like Kobe yeah. or, yeah, um, or, or other big personas who's making an impression, not just by their achievements, but also because of their heart yeah. and being genuine and being real. And I think that a lot of people listening right now who don't know about the GOAT, Ed Cohen, would kind of make fun of you and me um, talking this guy up so much. Yeah. But it is. But they don't know him. They don't know him. No. But, but they would understand it if it was Kobe Bryant or if there was I see, some yeah, other yeah, yeah, huge, yeah. hugely influential, uh, mainstream known person. I'll say this. This is this. Some people think this is a, a bold statement, but I think it's just the, the, the straight up truth. As big as people like Michael Jordan or, or Kobe or Tiger Woods are, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but as big as they are, I say Ed Cohen is bigger. Yeah. And, when it comes to and, powerlifting and what he has because, done there. Absolutely. But we live in that niche of society where knucklehead lifting kilos, yep. iron plates, yep. and 
and, and, and muscle and brawn is important. But it, it's the exact same thing. It's yeah. just on a smaller, yeah. narrower scale. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad I went over to powerlifting. I'm just, uh, I wish I would have done it sooner because I love powerlifting so much more than bodybuilding. It's a totally different world. Uh, I'm so glad I powerlift instead of, instead of bodybuilding. I, I can, I can respect almost anything having to do with a bar and plates right now. I'm so, <laughs> uh, I'm so starved on, on sports and athletics and training right now that you could, <sighs> You, I could, I could do weightlifting right now. I could do CrossFit. <laughs> you could do CrossFit. That's hard. <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm, I, I've got a very simple, simple routine right now. Uh, in my garage, I have an elliptical machine, and I have, a, I have a TRX band, and mm-hmm. that's that's my training, and I'm actually fine with that. I've just set a new, I've just made a new set of goals. You know, I want to lose this much weight and get this lean and I want my heart rate to be this, that, and the other. And I'm getting it done with, I'm looking at it as a, as a period of rest. It's great because uh, I've had so much shoulder issues with all these operations. This doing just TRX is fantastic for me. I'm loving it. I'm, 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 I have a couple of athletes that were in competition prep when this Corona thing happened and we are using, me and my athletes are using this period as recovery, dealing with underlying injuries, yeah. uh, getting the, the exactly. um, getting some cardio done, exactly. losing, losing a couple of pounds. That's exactly what I'm doing. Just preparing yeah. for when the gym opens again. And I'm going to tell you this, and to all the Norwegian listeners, the day we get the date for when the gym can open again, when Borgeskogen Training Center can open its, its, its uh, strongman unit again. We, the government is going to give us a date, right, John? We're yes. going to get, like, they're going to say 17th of April. Yeah. And you know, as good as I do, that the 17th starts at midnight, 16th, right? Exactly, yeah. I'm going to block those speakers at the gym. I'm going to open up the garage gate at the gym at midnight. I love it. And we're going to live fucking stream stone lifting and sandbag runs and medleys from midnight. Oh, man. Allowed to. Oh, yeah. I love it. And you're going to live stream it. Yeah. Of course. We, we talked about this. Now, I didn't know you had a live stream thing going on. Where, where can people find that? So at proteinfabriken.no on Facebook, I do a live stream every Wednesday and every Friday at 1 p.m., and it's called, in Norwegian, it's called 1 p.m. It's called After 13. Uh, and I started this because I was alone in the office. I sent everybody home on the 11th of March. Yeah. And two days later, I was so, so alone. And I, I just hit the live stream button on my phone and put it on the Protein Fabrican page. And there it is. And I saw the numbers, the viewers kept rising and i think i i hit a peak at like 700 at the same time and i thought oh shit i need to watch what i'm saying so i started scripting it and now i'm five episodes in doing this wednesday friday live stream thing and it's turning out to be a lifesaver i i'm really enjoying talking to people that, I, that can interact by comments yeah. and asking questions good for you and yeah i, I think it's fun it doesn't it doesn't do anything business-wise, but I think it does something. Uh, well, but that, ma- it, it, I think there'll be, um, just to interrupt, I think there'll be a delayed yeah. reaction. I think you will get people interested in this podcast or this uh, live stream, which will then turn yes, into maybe. 
into dollars and cents later. They're going to, you know, you are the face, you are the face of protein fabrication. You're touching into the face thing. I think it's good for a company that is normally a logo. Yeah. Even even though my face ain't that pretty, I think it's. Oh good come to on! You're a, cute now. <laughs> oh come on! Like any face, any face from a company, like with a revenue of millions, like if when they dare to put somebody's face out and say, "Hi, I'm PF." Yeah. I think it has a value in itself. Absolutely. And I'm not getting all easy questions. I'm getting really tough questions. Um, and it's well, it keeps you on your toes, yeah. Yeah, people are are addressing issues that we should be should care about, like like uh, our plastic buckets and our products being produced some sometimes in Europe and sometimes in Norway, and us our environmental focus and why are you selling this product at that price and are you vultures or are so I'm getting um, what's it called challenged yeah a lot isn't and that I, good I think it's isn't yeah, that good? good? Yeah, yeah. I think it's good. Well, I tell you, you um, now. You, I think you said earlier. <clears throat> okay, w- what is the market for protein fabrikan for payoff? It is, of course, uh, mainly Norway, but in second in a secondary market, it is Europe. But have you gotten into the states or England or Germany? Uh, we are in Germany and England right now uh, on Amazon. But Amazon, okay. How do they find you then? I don't understand all this Amazon stuff. How do they find? I'm I'm barely getting a grasp of it myself. They have to, (laughs) if there is some brand pages, and I think if you search for Norwegian Performance Nutrition, you can find our product. Norwegian Performance Nutrition. And and, then if you, if you, we have like grass fed whey and some omega 3 and some salmon protein and stuff. But funny thing about America, we are ready to do a cooperation with GNC whenever we can find, whenever we can find um, a route of import and an FDA approved locations in America, we will Uh be able to, to, to um, do business with GNC. We are having some, some contracts drawn up, uh, but GNC will not be the importer. So we will have to set up a business in America. I see. Doing t- taking care of the import, and then you will have Norwegian salmon protein and omega threes and stuff uh, at uh, at GNC, both in North America and South America. I think. Fantastic! But, so um, you guys got big. You've got some big thoughts here. Yeah, and it's costly. So that's why. Sure, you got to spend money to make money. Exactly, and and so right now we have invested, and we are being put on hold, of course, like yeah. the rest of the world. So um, the challenges are piling up, yeah. and uh, but whenever whenever things are sorted, I think we will get out of it on our feet, and we will well, hit the ground running. And I'm sure, you know, you probably don't even have to have me tell you this, but I'm sure in these days of less activity because of the isolation and, and the quarantine and whatnot, you guys are, your whole team is putting thoughts into how to come out of the gate, you know, full speed once you guys are able to, you know, when, once the quarantine is lifted and the virus is under control, um, mm. that you can just come out running full force and, oh, and yeah. Im- implement some of these good ideas. Is it, are you the, are you the one that is doing, uh, that is fronting this expansion into the States or is there someone else that you no, have in there? We have, we have hired, um, the ex, we have hired the former marketing guy from muscle farm who ran Asia. We have an Indian guy, Sanjay Singh, 
who has done work for both um, uh, Ultimate and Muscle Farm and has an immense overview of the international market. So I'm just helping our international guy uh, doing his thing that he's been doing for years from other for other companies. So I'm just the facilitator when it comes to to helping him with the export. I see. And yeah, so I'm I'm taking care of the Norwegian market, and Sanjay is is the one who will bring PF out into the international market. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. So you guys have some some high hopes, man, and I, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it's all going to work out. Yeah, I hope I hope so. And and we at least now we have the right people on on every yeah. part of the business. We have yeah. the right people here in Norway, and we believe that Sanjay is the right person to 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 take it further yeah. out internationally. Yeah. Uh, and of course, all our expos have been have been closed down now. So yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not going to be on lockdown forever. So eventually, nope. uh, I think it's going to be exciting to see what you guys can get done. You know, you guys have been such a uh, mainstay here in Norway. Like I said, I worked I worked with you guys way back in 2007 or 8 whenever I was running my gyms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you guys are still here and you're leading the market in Norway, leading the market in Scandinavia. So... Uh, yeah, I, I hope we're gonna pull through, um, and I hope, and I ho- actually hope a lot of our competition is gonna pull through because there are a lot of people hurting worse than we are right now. So, and I don't wish I don't wish any unfortunate on them. No, uh, no. I would rather beat them in a fair fight instead of having some bullshit virus knocking out our competition. Yeah. Listen to the character you have, man. That's that's a sign of high high character. You were talking about Alexander Shetkitaig, who didn't yeah. lie, who didn't lie on his timesheet. Well, here you are stating you'd rather beat the competition in a fair fight. You guys so, are just uh, a treat for you, John. Uh, yeah? the, the listeners ain't gonna see this, but remember I called you pale earlier. My, <laughs> yes. Yeah. My son, my son just came from practice. He was at the gym now. Oh, hi. Hi. Eric, do you see? Do you see this pale American man? I am. Well, you know, I I tell people all the time. I'm watered down. My great grandfather was a pale, red-haired Irishman. So uh, <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing pure about what you're looking at here. So. <laughs> oh, we are going to go home now, uh, John, and make some supper for the family. I got to tell you, man, it was fantastic. to. I, I feel like I know you now. You're not just a face out there. I, I call you a friend. And I say, I say this to anybody that I have love and respect for. I call them brother. So thank you for talking to me, my brother. Thank you. Likewise. And we'll have to do this again with video for the next next episode we do. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd like to, you know, if there's any way I can get on your live stream and help you out there yeah. as some sort of a guest or whatever, man, I'm... I, I, I will have my kids try and help me set up something that will make it work. Yeah. Uh, Put those... We are so dependent on the teenagers right now. Uh, I have I no idea. Yeah, it's all witch... I think cr- Eric and Vinia will have to help me set up some sort of video conference on Zoom or something. It's all witchcraft and wizardry for me. I do not yeah. understand this technical <laughs> stuff. <laughs> But again, man, thank you so much for talking. Uh, I'm going to say a few more words after we hang up, and I will, uh, I'll talk to you again very soon. Yeah, let's talk later tonight, man. Sounds good, my friend. Take care of yourself. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks for being here. Bye. 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 Okay, everybody. Well, that was uh, Egil Barley-Jonsen. He is uh, one of the top dogs in PF. Protein Fabriken, as it's called here in Norway. 
And I want to thank you all for being with me on this rather long episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. All right, everybody, stay positive. Keep the love going. Bye now. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Yes, I am, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Lord, I'm coming home.